Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. This is episode 56 of the Independent Intel Podcast. It is NBA season. I'm right here on my old At The Whistle podcast mates, Clement Kempson and Ace Dawkins. Before we dive into all the main topics, how you guys feeling? Basketball season is a day away. Start with Clem. What are you most excited about heading into the new season in 2022? Man, I'm just excited for basketball to be back in general, man. You know? NFL cool and all, but uh, ain't, ain't nothing like the NBA, boy. But uh, yeah, definitely excited just to see um, who who comes out the pack, man. There's a lot of great teams. Um, it seems like there's, you know, probably seven or eight teams that not in the race, but um, especially that Western Conference, like that play-in, even in the Eastern Conference, the play-in, um, it's going to be interesting to see who, you know, um, gets himself outside of the pack and, and decipher who's the top dog and that. Was shopping up with Ace before you got on, Clem, about the ins and outs of the season. But Ace, in totality, what are you looking forward to as the season tips off tomorrow? Um, personally, I'm looking forward to um, the Cinderella teams. I'm looking forward to the ones that's actually going to surprise us and be like, okay, like we we accounted for y'all, but we ain't know y'all going to be this good. Um, I feel like it's going to be one of those seasons. Um, it's not really no clear cut. I mean, you always got to account for like Golden, your Golden States and Milwaukee's and Boston's and stuff like that. But it's really no clear cut like team that's like, yeah, I, if you're not there at the end, I'm shocked. So I'm excited for, you know, those teams and with the small market teams on the rise. I'm excited for them, too. Yeah, a lot of um, interesting storylines for sure as we head to the new season. Tops will touch base on conference breakdowns. I've divided them into five tiers, East and West. Try to make that process go by pretty quickly. NBA award predictions already posted mine on the Independent Intel IG page. We'll love to see who you guys have for the five special awards as we head into the new season and who will get the top pick for Victor Wimbayana. He's incredible. We know a handful of teams are going to be taken for his services. We'll discuss who has the best chance and who will get it in the end when it comes draft lottery time in March. But let's dive into the Eastern Conference. Tier 1, the contenders. Guys, we kind of know who the, these people are. Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks. We'll start with Clem. When you see these two franchises, what is the strength of theirs coming into the year? One strength you can identify. And what would you perceive as their one weakness as well when it comes to opening up the season? Well, starting with Milwaukee, I think um, their weakness might be their depth. Um, with Pat Connaughton hurt right now, um, with Chris Middleton hurt as well, coming into the season, uh, Giannis is going to have to be in full MVP mode from the get-go in order for them to, you know, get a good start out in the East. Um, I I think they'll they'll be able to get over the hurdle, but I'm worried what this first, you know, 20-game stretch, how that might, may affect Giannis you know, as we get into the playoffs and deeper in the playoff run, because he did play Eurobasket this past summer, and then coming into the league having to carry such a heavy load with Chris Middleton being out, um, really anxious to see how that plays out. Because we saw what happened last year—the same thing. They came out after winning championship a bit lackluster, a bit um, <clears throat> not as healthy as they wanted to be, and you know, although Middleton got hurt down the stretch, we saw that. You know, it did have an effect on them. So that's that's the main thing I'm worried about for them. 
Ace, when we look at the Bucks, um, weakness of theirs potentially at into the year. I mean, obviously, Clint touched base on their health. Um, anything else to potentially add, or maybe a new aspect that you could think could be a looming weakness for them down the line this season? Um, I feel like their weakness. I'm trying to see how I want to word this. Their weakness could also prove to be a strength. How well can you tap into the depth of your team? Um, will Giannis trust everything else that's around him while people are rehabbing and getting back to back to the basics? Um, just how, you know, if y'all still had that championship pedigree, how much of that is still, you know, looming and lingering around. So I think that's that's the, the main thing, the depth in Giannis trust in his supporting cast that he will have available to him at the start of the season. Yeah, coming into the year, Middleton's going to be out for a few weeks. Connaughton's going to be out for a few weeks. So, obviously, a weakness is the depth. Um, they did add a, a plethora of young guys, uh, Bo Champ in the draft. They got Makai Luke, who is – not Makai Luke, but Big, Big Z, who's obviously down there, and then Whittington as well. We see these guys showcase some level of promise in the summer league. They're going to potentially have to lean on them during the year, and obviously a weakness, I'd say, is Boonhoser rotations. He hasn't had a propensity to play young guys. That's going to have to change this year with two of your core individuals out. And I'd say a strength for the Bucks is when they're all healthy, they're starting five. Um, ever since Holiday's came to the team, their healthy core of Holiday, Antetokounmpo, and Middleton, they haven't lost in the playoff series. Um, we all kind of, you know, acknowledge that if Middleton was there in the semifinals, they'd probably beat Boston. So at full strength, we can say Milwaukee's for sure an elite team in the East. The question's going to be, can they get there? And in the process of getting there eventually, does Boonholder have a propensity to open up the rotations and let some young guys play to get them meaningful reps? That would be ever so important once they make a push during the postseason. Um, and you got anything else you guys probably want to add with your strengths for the Bucks before we move to the Celtics? Yeah, I think that every every um, championship team, when you have like a core piece like a Giannis, um, we've seen in the past, they changed the supporting cast around them. And, you know, as much as I, I do like Middleton's game and I feel like it complements Giannis's weakness as well, um, I do think that, you know, he's getting to the age where, you know, you may want to start looking for a possible replacement for him or, you know, doing so through the draft. And I was very high on Jordan uh, uh, Noir last year, but he didn't get as much time. Um, I Like you said, Bud doesn't love to play younger guys, but I think the uh, Bisham um, draft pick this year and Noir, I would love to see them get more playing time and see if they can, you know, be complimentary, uh, uh, complimentary rings to Giannis and a piece that they can use moving forward. Ace, anything else to add? Um, positive outlook for the Bucks before we segue to Boston. The positive for them, man, as long as number 34 is healthy, you got a shot. So um, as long as Giannis can hold the fort down for that month until he get his, his Robin to his Batman back, I think they'll be all right, and we can watch them get back to regular play. Indeed, indeed. Uh, the Boston Celtics, they had a very interesting offseason, to say the least. And um, as we head into the regular season, they're going to be without Robert Williams for a while, probably up until the new year. And they're not going to have Danilo Gallinari at all yet, towards ACL um, during the 
basketball. So these are two big factors in the front court that was going to help to develop and transition into maybe having a more deeper, versatile lineup into the new year. Uh, Clem, they're not going to have these guys. Front court depth is a clear weakness in theirs right now. How do you think they'll be able to play through that and still be productive for the remainder of the season? You know, I think that their talent is still there. I'd be, I'd be more worried if they lost uh, like Tatum or Jalen Brown more so than Udoka. And then uh, because Joe Mazzula was on the coaching staff and um, from what I know to be a defensive coach as well, I think that their defensive schemes will be impacted because uh, they won't have Williams um, to help them with their scheme defensively. But I think the core of their defense um, with Tatum, Brown, um, Horford isn't as capable anymore, but he is a smart defender. And then obviously having Marcus Smart there. And then Derek White off the bench and um, uh, Malcolm Brogdon coming in as well. Like, I think I think they're going to be solid. Like, I, I think they're still going to be top three. Um, but we'll see. I don't, I don't think their chemistry takes a hit at all. But um, Williams being out is going to affect something. But I, I think they'll be fine. Ace, man, Robert. Being out is huge. Um, he's a big part of defense. So early in the year, you're going to give heavy minutes to Al Horford, who's older. And he did get Noah Vonley from free agency. And he showed flashes in the preseason. Um, do you think they can survive with this front line defensively? Or do you see Boston potentially for, at least up until the All-Star break, leaning on their offense to kind of get victories? I think... Um... I think Robert being gone, it matters. It, it's definitely not small. But um, when you got guys like Marcus Smart, um, Brogdon, Jalen Brown, Tatum, Al Horford, um, I think, weirdly enough, um, hot take, you'll see the the veteran come out of Al Horford and figure things out knowing how how the team is looking and what, what they lost. Which means he'll have to pick up that anchor role. But um, I don't think – I think they'll they'll tap into it. I think they know that people are expecting them to fail in some ways more than one. Um, but I, I don't think that they really lose a step. I think they'll maintain and then take a step up when Robert returns. We acknowledge that one of their biggest additions of free agency is Malcolm Brogdon. And all of a sudden their guard room is a strength. You got smart, former defensive player of the year. Brogdon with healthy is a 19-point-per-game guy. Derek White shows some solid flashes off the bench. Um, how versatile, Clem, do you see this guard lineup being on both ends of the floor? And what can it bring out of for the betterment of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? I think that's why I'm so high on them, because as much as we give credit to their defense, um, if we're – you know me, I'm, I'm about the stars. So I think that – Tatum and Brown having the experience that they did getting to the finals, especially where um, Brown was arguably the better offensive, at least scoring threat in the finals. Um, Tatum was just as good, if not better, um, throughout the playoffs. So I think um, 
I think they're just going to take another step from that. So I think offensively they're going to be even better. Marcus Smart even improved his playmaking a bit. And uh, I think that's going to be an, uh, a positive aspect as well. And then Malcolm Brogdon, I keep talking about just him being able to come in and be a solid point guard who can get everybody in, in order, I think is going to be make a world's difference. Because as we saw, Brown was dribbling the ball off his foot, off of everything, you know what I'm saying? Like having him be the playmaker, that's, that's him playing out of his role. So now you have Brogdon come in. Um, whether it's in four smart or if that's um, smart playing on the wing more, you have a guy who can operate sets and get everybody in a position where they need to be and really control and manage the game. So I think offensively they'll be able to make up for the defense that they're uh, lacking until uh, Robert Williams comes back. And then I see him once he comes back, they'll, I think they're going to finish number one in the East again. Ace so far in the preseason, Brogdon's come off the bench. Um, Marcus Smart hasn't been demoted. But as the season goes on, who do you see potentially being the primary floor general for them offensively? Smart still, like last season, or as Brogdon gets comfortable within the Boston system, he's going to be the lead guard guy when it counts in April, May, and June. I think starting out, um, they'll stay to what they know with Marcus Smart. But I think as the season um, progresses, they'll tap into getting tricky with the lineup a little bit and letting Brogdon kind of so, be the sole playmaker. I would like to see Brogdon be the playmaker for Boston. I feel like that fits his role a little bit more. He's um, He could be a floor general, and I like him a little bit better defensively over Marcus Smart. Um, but Marcus Smart isn't bad. I mean, he's been getting the job done, him being the point guard and sole ball handler for the Boston Celtics. He did get them to the finals or played a part, but um, I would like to see Brogdon eventually take that role. But time will tell. Um, time will definitely tell, but I, that's what I think. Time will definitely tell, but these are the Tier 1 teams in the Eastern Conference, Boston, Milwaukee. We acknowledge when they're at full strength, we think they're a class above everybody else. But I think Tier 2 has a ton of intriguing teams. I call them the looming, the looming rather adversaries, Philadelphia, Miami, Brooklyn, and Cleveland, let's start with the Sixers. Clem, they went out of their way to improve the depth aspect of their team. They got shooters. Um, James Harden has talked about how he's lost weight. He's went out of his way to improve his game. Um, what do you – are you agreeing with the fact that, from a depth perspective, that it could be potentially their strength, not just in the playoffs, but in the regular season, which can help save Joel Embiid from really himself when it comes to the injuries? Yeah, so I'm actually just now getting like a, a double take at your tiers. And in, interesting, especially that, that three or four range. Uh, we're going to get into that. But uh, <laughs> I actually think Philly is going to be the first. I think Boston and Philly are going to be the two top teams in the East. Um, okay. Milwaukee, I think, will be three because of injuries and just because of the weight that uh, Giannis is going to have to carry early on. But um, I like Philly. I. The, the, the thing that worries me about them, one, their different lineups gives them depth, but I feel like they have a, a lineup, like most of their starters are offense heavy, and then they have Melton off the bench, um, and um, Daniel House, who they brought in, 
and uh, Tybul, who I, I'm pretty sure they're going to start Tobias at the three and put PJ at the four, so Tybul will come off the bench. So you have three really good defensive players coming off the bench right there, and with them not having like a strong backup center, I'm sure Embiid's going to play some good minutes. So you got four of those guys in in the second unit. Um, like that's a really good defensive forward, you know. So I think the problem is down the stretch of games, their best players are offense heavy. So I think Doc's going to have to do a good job of, you know, managing who needs to be in the game, you know, depending on if they need defense or offense. But I think they had depth. I think they have um, a solid team. And I think that Maxi is going to take another step this year. And don't be surprised if, if we're having conversations about who's the second best player on Philly. And and I think I think Joel Embiid's gonna win MVP too. Like I think this year he's gonna crack through. So yeah, man. I don't know. Like I, I I'm not a I'm I don't believe in James Harden down the stretch, but I don't know. I feel very optimistic about this Philly team. I think I think they're gonna finish top two and they're gonna have uh, success early on in the regular season. We'll see what happens in the playoffs though. Yeah, um, we have, I think Tyrese Max can potentially win most improved. And if he does that, we are going to have a genuine conversation about who is the second best player. I think he can have kind of that Siakam breakthrough that he had the year the Raptors won the championship. But Ace, P.J. Tucker, in my opinion, was one of the more underrated signings Philly uh, manifested in free agency. Uh, he provides three a 3 and D component on the wing that they just didn't have with Matisse Thibault because he's not the greatest shooter. What can he potentially provide versatility-wise on both ends of the floor? for the Sixer team that really lacked it at the wing spot last season. He can definitely um that defense is there for sure. Um and I feel like he spreads the floor with the mid range shot. And he's not afraid to attack the hole either. So um you got somebody with grit right there. But I like um I'm with Clem. I like Tyrese Maxey. Um that's a dog. He um I feel like with his ascension makes it makes Tobias Harris one of the best fourth options in the league. Like <laughs> you I mean, you can't argue with that. So, um yeah, I mean, I feel like Tybo is right where he need to be. He's not doing too much, he's not doing too little. If he embraces the role that he's supposed to, um, that'd be fine. Yeah, I think Tyler off the bench, considering his limitations offensively, fits him best. Um, Clem did break up Daniel House as well. But the reason why I'm not as high on Philly like Clem is injuries to Joel Embiid and James Harden. We got to say they're both injury prone at this point in their careers. And our obviously my question to you, Clem, is how much faith do you have that both of these guys can at least play 60 games individually? this season because I think that's probably what they're going to need to have to accomplish for this team to be a top two seed in the East. Um, I don't think they can achieve that no matter how much they've improved their depth with their two best players not being in the lineup at least 60 games. How much faith do you have that that can happen for the Sixers? Well, I got I got a lot of faith. Actually, let me, let me, let me scale it back a little bit. I don't have that much faith. But I think as much as Joel Embiid really – acts like he doesn't want this MVP award. I think he does because I'm not saying that he doesn't think he's going to win a championship, but I think the more years that go on, he's kind of realizing how hard it is to to get 
to a final. I mean, he's only been to one Eastern Conference final. Uh, actually, no, they lost in the second round that year to Kawhi. So he hasn't even gotten there. And he's seen how much effort he's putting in and not being able to get that far. I think he's understanding, like, if I don't win a ring, like, one of the main things I'm going to be known for is being an MVP if he wins it. So for that reason alone, I think he's going to find a way to play 65 games. And he has, you know, been better about playing games um, in the last year and a half or so. So I think he will play more games. I think James Harden's weight um, has played a part in, you know, him being able to um, play more. So I think both of them will play enough games. And I think because they will miss games and when they do, Tyrese is going to be able to step up and show them, like, I think he's going to have multiple 35-plus games where we're going to be like, no, this dude's for real. So... Um, I think they'll be fine, and I think Joel will play enough games because he really wants that MVP. Ace, before we pivot from the Sixers, more faith in Harden averaging 20 and 10 or Maxi eclipsing the 20 points per game threshold first time in his career? More faith in um, Harden. Just not saying that Maxi won't do it, but um, Maxi's still ascending. He's still got time. Um, I feel like if he does average 20, it would be right on the nose, like 20.1, 20.2. Whereas Harden has been there before. He's been a facilitator. Um, he's a scorer. He knows how to get his points. knows how to get his buckets, get to the line. knows how to move the ball. So um, I, I definitely have more faith in that 20 and 10 and him embracing the role of – I mean, we've seen him take less money for them to add depth. Um, I feel like he's embracing finally, like, he didn't go through the, the mellow Westbrook phase where I'm I'm James Harden, so I should be treated as such. So I feel like he's, you know, he, he's embracing what it takes to win. So um, I, I got faith in the 20 and 10 from Harden. I think both are feasible, but Ace hit the nail. Harden's going continue, <clears> to <throat> continue to have the ball in his hands. It's always going to be a lot to get 20. The assists are natural. Uh, we really just want to see him. Uh, he doesn't have to return to peak James, but that offensive consistency and efficiency, we need to see that continue to showcase itself on the floor every single night. Uh, the Miami Heat are next, and me and Clem were kind of touching base on this when we saw them you know, do their thing during the preseason. Their biggest strength the past few years has been their developmental staff. Max Struess, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, Omer Yurtsevin, and then Nikola Jovic, the rookie, the other Jovic guy. Um, their development staff has been incredible. How much do you feel like that will continuously play a part, Clem, in Miami's uh, reinsertion back into the Eastern's best? Because we know Jimmy's going to miss some time. Um, Bam, I think, is improving offensively, but they're really going to rely on their um, developmental guys to continue to take that next step this year. How much do you feel they will be able to live up to that height this season? Yeah, I, I mean, Miami is their well-oiled machine. It's like, I mean, obviously, the Spurs for so many years, we saw them, even when they weren't, you know, number the number one pick or number two pick to come out of the West, you knew that the culture and system they had, they were going to be like a top four or five seed, you know? Um, and I think that's where Miami is. Obviously, Jimmy's not going to play a bunch of games. Um, the big question mark for them is that four position. 
And I mean, there's two sleepers on the team that I really, obviously, I've talked about Nikola Jovic. I'm a, I'm a fan already. Um, I think he's definitely going to be um, or get the opportunity to play some good minutes. And he's looked good in the preseason so far. I think he has a chance to open up the floor for not only Bam, but um, a guy like uh, Duncan Robinson, who was playing like a shell of himself. Uh, so I think Nikola Jovic getting some time being able to stretch the floor is going to take a hit on their defense. But, I mean, if you have anybody else behind you, it's probably going to be, you know, a guy like Bam who's arguably the best defensive player right now, like him, maybe Gobert or Draymond, like you would say probably like the three top candidates for uh, defensive player of the year. But I think they'll be good. I think them or Yurtsevin being able to get a chance to play – sometime alongside Bam and I've seen Bam stretch the floor a little bit in the preseason too. So I think there's a chance where that's that can be like a nice little three man rotation. They work through it in the regular season and then maybe by the playoffs they can, you know, cut it down to two. But uh Jovic Jovic's ability to stretch the floor and Yurtsevin's size giving an opportunity for Bam to, you know, play outside and do more pick and pop and um, his playmaking with Duncan uh, Robinson as well. I think they, they, they have a good chance. Ace at times uh, last season, Tyler Hero was <clears throat> their best offensive player. And they gave him a max deal, somewhat semi-max, I'll call it. Um, he's still on the squad. Duncan Robinson's still on the squad. But Max Struess played pretty well in the playoffs. And he's a much better defender than both of these guys as well. Do you see Struess eventually becoming a primary guy in their rotation over a Duncan and Hero? And if that does happen, do you think the Heat should move on from Duncan or Hero to kind of free up space to maybe add somebody else during the season? I feel like he'll make that leap over Duncan before Hero. Um, Hero, whilst in my opinion, started off sluggish at the beginning of last year, kind of had to work his way back up. Of course, we didn't ever see, we hadn't seen Hero from the bubble, but um, I I haven't seen Duncan show any glimpses of, we at least seen glimpses of bubble Hero. We haven't seen glimpses of anything from Duncan Robinson as a whole. So I think Schroes will definitely make that leap over Duncan Robinson before anybody else. Duncan did shoot the ball particularly well in the preseason against the Grizzlies. Um, whatever they told him in the offseason, it does look like he's putting his best foot forward. But Struz is a heat guy, in my opinion. I just feel like that type of player is eventually going to showcase itself as a steady force in the rotation sooner rather than later. I'd say one of the weaknesses for the Heat is a couple things. One, Butler and Lowry are old, and that's, that's two-thirds of their core. As well as Bam's offensive development, Ace, I mean, not Ace, Clem touched base on Bam stretching the floor a little bit. Um, Clem, how do you see this factoring into the Heat um, as not being an issue? Because, you know, Butler and Lowry are getting any younger. And Bam, I, I still feel like I need to see more. More faith in Butler and Lowry um, continuing to play solid basketball at their age or Bam taking that next step as an offensive factor for the Heat team. Well, I love how you opened it with Tyler Hero being the best or the most consistent offensive player. But you ain't say nothing about Tyler Hero defense, all right? 
You talking about Bam not having offensive ability. You talking about Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry being old. But you ain't talking about Tyler Hero defense. I think that would be a problem if anything. Um, but on a serious note, I think Jimmy Butler, um, this is why I have them in the, I think you, you placed them properly in this tier. Um, I think they're going to be, I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the Eastern Conference Finals again, just because when it's time to win, Jimmy turns it on, Bam turns it on, Kyle Lowry. I think, you know, he, he got um, fat shamed a little bit by Pat Riley. So <laughs> I've been seeing him work a little more. But I think I think they'll both play around 50-something games. I think they'll do enough to stay um, in the four seed and get home court advantage in the playoffs. Um, but that's pretty much it. Uh, and then after that, it just really comes down to the uh, playoffs and, and how Jimmy performs. But Lowry is getting older, um, but I can see him having a, a better year than last year. And um, Tyler Hero being, you know, steady offensive force uh, with the team and Duncan Robinson, they, they have depth. So they're good on the guards. It's just a matter of finding out who's the, the other two big men that are going to play alongside Bam and how that's going to work uh, throughout the regular season. They for sure do have a guard rotation, so I don't expect Lowry to be playing heavy minutes throughout the mm-hmm. year. I think him, Gabe Vincent, and Oladipo as well are going to rotate back mm-hmm. and forth. But Ace, um, you know, Butler's Butler. He's pl- he's a playoff guy. I mean, I think that's one of the main reasons why he's a top 10 player to me. Um, but Bam, he's got to develop offensively consistently for them to potentially get out of the East. What do you need to see of Bam on that side of the floor to be a reliable co-star with Jimmy come postseason time? I mean, for me, with Bam, it's hard because what Bam needs to do isn't, for me, it isn't what he needs to do individually is that Bam should really be running a four and they need somebody bigger to run that five. Um, I just think he's he's too undersized in the league sometimes where that causes exposure. So um, my thing is I, I would like to see Bam become a bit more versatile when dealing with bigger and skilled people that, such as your Jokic, um, Giannis, AD when healthy. Um, he gets abused because he's just undersized. He could be given the best D possible, but I just feel like the downfall is that he's just too undersized and they don't have anybody bigger to run that five. That's a fact. Um, I think we all agree he's a four, and Miami did not address the five spot, so it looks like Bam is going to be playing both positions throughout the year. Um, look, I like Bam as a player. I just feel like he needs a jump shot. And um, I don't think he needs a ton of post moves, but I guess in this in this game where he's kind of built wise as an undersized four, I don't think he needs a plethora of moves on the block. Just have a jumper to add what he does pretty well as a hustle guy with his athleticism. He can be a factor, and we all can agree for the Heat to get to where they need to go. He's got to be their second best player offensively, um, and that might not scream you know great efficiency, but um, aggressiveness, assertiveness. Just the respectability as a jump shooter could go a long way in opening up the rest of the floor. But that's the Miami Heat in the Tier 2 category. Uh, the Nets are next. Um, Clem, 
crazy offseason for Brooklyn. At one point, we kind of had a fleeting thought that Kyrie and KD wouldn't be here. But they're still here. They've got Ben Simmons. Um, Claxton looked particularly well in, for, in, you know, in the preseason. Their front core versatility is an underrated aspect within their team. What are you excited about or even intrigued about what they can provide on both ends of the floor with Ben Simmons in the fold as well? Well, I'm, I'm surprised they're this high. But then again, um, I know Katie, your guy. So it makes sense that they're in tier two. I'm just really skeptical about this team because, like you said, everything that happened in the offseason, but also just who's going to buy in and who's going to sacrifice. Uh, I know yesterday in the group chat, I, I'd asked who watched the, um, the uh, Redeem Team documentary. And I got a chance to watch it last night. And it's just, even with star teams, which I think they are, there has to be somebody on the team who says, hey, I'm going to, you don't even got to take a step back, but I'm going to do the dirty work. And I, I think we would initially go towards Ben Simmons because he's the better defensive player and he's bigger and athletic to do that. But he, he just has such a superstar mindset that I just can't see him wanting to do the dirty work or being like in a role like that because that's generally for like a you know a lesser player who doesn't have like a sexy game so um that's my biggest concern with them i just i don't think that ben is gonna want to play like a small ball five i think he wants to be the point guard and kyrie plays the two but i just don't think that their offense is going to be best operated that way so and then with the Steve Nash drama, everything that's going on, I just can't see Steve Nash telling him to do that. So I think I think they're going to be in that five six range, um, and arguably going home again in the first round. But then again, if they if everything clicks, I can see them, like you said, putting them in the uh, second tier, and then being like an Eastern Conference contender. But I would lean towards the the latter and say that they're they're probably going to go home in the first round again, not because they don't have the talent, but because of the chemistry and camaraderie on the team. To Clemson's point, Ace, uh, I kind of judged them a little bit when they played the Bucks a few days ago, um, and the way they were using Ben Simmons felt Draymond Green s, and it kind of worked. So, to Ace, if Simmons is going to play a Draymond role. How effective can he be on both ends of the floor? And do you feel like he'll buy in to really that quota on this team, considering Kyrie Irving and Durant are going to be the top alpha guys offensively? I think uh, that's what Ben Simmons needs, not only for gameplay, but for his psyche, for his mental. Um, if If you're sending him out there and you tell him, we're not looking for you to score. Looking for you to be our facilitator. Looking for you to defend. If the points come, points come. But looking for you to defend, facilitate, rebound. Um, that will help. <clears throat> that will help Ben tremendously. Um, and I mean, if you got KD and Kyrie outside, KD, who is arguably the hardest to defend in the league right now. Um, I mean, I'm not looking for Ben to score because that's what we got supporting cast for outside of Katie and Kyrie. So it might be what they need for Ben Simmons to be Draymond Green-esque. Um, 
to Kyrie and KD Splash Bro, uh, you know, for their roles. But I would like to see it. And I think really that's the answer to Clem's question. Like, who's going to take the sacrifice? It's going to have to be Simmons. Um, Kyrie and Durant. Kind of don't have a choice. In the preseason. I mean, I have a choice. <laughs> he kind of don't have a choice. Usage in the preseason is astronomical. They're not taking a step back. Uh, um, now, if we want to talk about who might potentially be the leading scorer this year, I mean, we've heard talks about Kyrie potentially trying to go for MVP, things of that nature. But Simmons is going to have to take the, the step back. And I do think he's at a point in his career where he does need to redefine himself to kind of save face on his basketball reputation. And for what I've seen as a roller, a screener, dribble handoff, Draymond Green, high-low pass in the paint, he can do that particularly well. And I think we'll probably see a like a 12-9-7 stat line. It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be spectacular. But I think it will allow him to be effective within that team, within that system. But I do think the biggest weakness we can acknowledge is Steve Nash. Clem, how much faith do you have that Nash lasts the all-star break as the team's called? I mean, I think he's going to get fired, but more so because of what happened prior to. Like, I think the writing's on the wall already. Um, and it's, it's just pretty much a recipe for disaster, in my opinion, just because... Ben Simmons, like you look at historically, you know the three peats or not not three peats, the uh, um, the super teams with three guys who have made all star teams. Like the third guy usually always gets the butt of the of everything. You know, we talking about the Chris Boshes. You know, like a guy who was a franchise player but came over and you know had to buy in and just you know stand in the corner a lot of times and then guard the best uh, big man and make his impact on defense. You're talking about Ray Allen, um, guy who's a franchise player. He's guarding most of the wings um, um, that the Celtics played against. But he had to, you know, take the back seat to, you know, Paul Pierce and KG and even Rondo's from a, a standpoint of, you know, operating the offense. And I just don't see Ben Simmons doing that. So for Steve Nash's sake, I think, I think he will not make it to the all-star break. I'll be If they get off to a bad start in the first 15 games, I can see him being gone by then. Um, but ultimately, I don't know who they're going to bring in that has enough rep and respect in the league that's going to be able to tell KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons what to do because KD's not a super prideful guy, but Kyrie's his man's, and Kyrie is. And Ben Simmons is. So whenever them two clash, you know uh, KD's going to side with with uh, Kyrie. And then Ben Simmons back in this position where he feels like he's being attacked. So I think it's it, it's the chemistry is just, it, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. But um, maybe if they bring in a coach that kind of has a Phil Jackson-esque vibe, who knows how to, you know, calm those guys down and get them in place. And yeah, but I I don't really know who that person would be right now. Yeah, we can agree with that aspect for sure. And a piggyback on for Ace, um, I do think one of the main reasons why Durant is still here is they promised him Nash is going to have a short leash. Um, we all talk about how his inability to put the best rotations forward, um, get the best out of certain players. What can he potentially do, Ace? 
to maintain his job. In the lack of sense, what aspect of his coaching tree, skill set rather, does he need to heighten or elevate to really be a factor as the head man for this job moving forward? Prove that you have a voice. Prove that you can, um, you know, not control, but forget it. Like, prove that you can actually coach superstars. Prove that you can, you know, actually have a handle on your locker room. Because right now it's like, at times, and I know I'm not the only one, at times you forget, dang, who is the coach for Brooklyn? Like, you, you forget that he over on the sideline. It's just... Uh, that 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 right there for me, and his saving his job, prove that you're actually coaching, prove that you're actually there, and maybe just maybe they can consider something. I think D'Antoni might be a good good option though. I just thought about it. D'Antoni would be bad. Um, he wouldn't be bad, but yeah, Nash for sure does need to utilize his voice and um. It's a common thing for a lot of these coaches. Trust trust young guys, throw out some lineups. It's the regular season. Anything can happen. Depending on lineups you put out, you can probably get the best out of somebody. Jump start a momentous run for that individual player that could be a key card. But his voice does need to stand out the most for them to be successful. Last team in this tier, really excited to see his team. I like what I've seen so far in the preseason. The Cleveland Cavaliers, Clement Gibson. They might have one of the best starting fives in the conference. Um, what are you excited about when it comes to the dynamic duo of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt together in the lane? I can tell you excited by the way you're pounding. <laughs> uh, Cleveland, man. Um, I'm, I'm most excited to see just like late game down the stretch with uh, Garland and Mitchell because obviously we saw what Mitchell can do um, with his time in Utah and we saw especially in the in the playing game there were times when Darius Garland you know had to put up shots that he didn't want to put up um, we know he can score but I think he's just as good of a playmaker as he is a scorer so him having Donovan Mitchell by his side he can give the ball to him more so and let him rock and then in situations where like Mitchell's not on the floor or if Mitchell can't get a shot up, you have Darius Garland as your second option on offense is phenomenal. So I think the two of them, they have probably the, a good chance to overtake Chris Paul and Book as like the leading, um, they'll probably have like a, a better combined points per game total um, than than any other backcourt, I can definitely see that happening. So um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think defensively is the question with Garland being 6'1 and Donovan being about 6'1, 6'2. What is the defense going to look like? And if they're starting Levert at the three, that's, you know, three guys on the wing that are not great defenders. So how is that going to affect Mobley on defense? Like, How's that going to affect Allen on defense? Are they going to be getting in foul trouble because, you know, guys are getting past Mitchell and, and Garland so fast that, you know, they have to put themselves in position to defend the rim and get fouled. So I think that'll be the interesting thing. But uh, I like J.D. Bickerstaff, and, and I, I trust what he, he can do. And he's been innovative in the past with starting the three-big lineup. So 
interesting to see what he'll do with a guy like a Dean Wade, who I've heard has been doing pretty good defensively in the preseason. Um, so I, I think it'd be interesting to see if he goes with a Coro, Dean Wade, or Karis LeVert to close the lineup um, at the three. But Garland and Mitchell, I think, will lead all backcourts in scoring combined. Yeah, we'll get to their small forward position spot. I think that's going to be the biggest coin flip throughout the year. But Ace, I could kind of bank on the fact that they're going to go offense-oriented with Garland and Mitchell. And I feel like Okoro is going to be the wing with Mobley and Allen. So their front court is going to be tasked with a lot of the defensive responsibilities. How productive do you think that yin and yang effect can work for Cleveland? And could it potentially come back to bite them where it hurts? I think it could work. However, when the trade went down, I was one who said you're really getting just a veteran version of what Darius Garland has already showed himself to be. So, that being said, um, defense is already not a strong point. Um, And then outside of that, um, there's no true facilitator between the two. Both of them are score dominant. Um, Darius Garland has showed that he could. But the caveat of that is I feel like that's where you'll have your Rubio, um, Isaac Okoro. They'll have to step up. Um, I like Levert, but to Clem's point, Levert is not the most defensive dominant on the wing. So um, I would love to see um, the veteran point guard in Ricky Rubio and the young dog in Isaac Okoro because I like him a lot. Um, Isaac Okoro, I like to see him step up. Um, and maybe that makes life easier on the front court. But um, it would have to come from those two role players right there. I do have faith in Garland as a playmaker. I think he can do it. Um, I do feel as if Mitchell is a better version of Saxton. So they finally have a shooting guard that's just as ball-dominant as Colin, but more natural shooter, more dynamic off the bounce, and I think is a better off-ball player because of his athleticism to be a threat on backdoor actions. Clem? To be honest, when we talk about the Cavs, their wing position is probably the biggest question mark. Um, Isaac Okoro is a pretty um, underrated defender, but he's not the greatest shooter. Karis LeVert's a ball stopper. Dean Wade's a floor spacer. We're going to see a lot of his defensive dynamic. You can say the same thing about Chetty Osmond as well. Who do you have confidence in etching out the starting role as we head deeper into the season at the wing spot? And depending on who it is, can they give you at least three and D versatility on both ends. Um, and this is why I was I was I was really looking forward to seeing um, Oche Abaji with them, who they drafted but traded. Um, I think starting off it's going to be Levert, but I think that either he will get traded for a package deal that gets some three to D guy they need or Okoro is going to move up and improve offensively. But I think Levert's going to be the guy starting off and then um, they will, they will make a trade to get somebody because I don't think any of the three guys have in between Dean Wade, excuse me, um, um, Karis Levert or Isaac Okoro. Um, are the answers to this team. Yeah, this team is literally a wing away uh, when they did trade Abaji. It sucked because I like what I saw out of college and he looked pretty well. 
during summer league. I honestly feel as if they could have kept him, um, probably trade away a Coral. But they're high on a Coral. Ace, you're kind of high on him as well. How confident are you that he can take at least an NBA-level jump as a solid 3-and-D player on the wing? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm very confident in him as long as he can um... – with a 3 and D guy, I feel like the biggest thing is consistency. So you can't, you know, be sometimey with anything that you choose to do. So I feel like um, he has to be consistent on exactly what that title is, 3 and D. So, um, but I feel like I, I have faith in him um, as long as they preach his role to him and he knows the importance of what they're expecting, he can do it. He potentially can, and they're going to need him. They're going to lean on him to kind of be that uh, move, needle mover, rather, for this team out east. Tier 3 French playoff participants in the Eastern Conference. Atlanta and Toronto, I think, are going to get to 7th and 8th spots. Let's touch base on um, Clem squad, the Hawks. Um, obviously, the biggest strength might be the addition of DeJounte Murray. He's a two-way presence. He's finally developed into really that high upside combo guard that we saw coming out of Washington, um, what type of ability can he potentially provide to Atlanta and how much of a um, relaxer he can provide for Trey Young who won't have to be as ball dominant and can potentially play off the ball offensively and he can be able to hide a little bit on the defensive end as well. Um, I don't know. This is This is a little tricky for me because I just I, I really want to see what they're gonna play like together. I think that Murray is a prideful guy and competitive guy, which I think is good. Um, but I wonder how well that's gonna like pan out with with Trey Young because it's Trey Young's team, and he's been the guy in, um, or at least the future guy. Um, in uh, San Antonio for a while. So now coming over and joining Trey's team, and even though Trey's supposed to be off the ball sometimes, like I know when it comes down to, you know, crunch buckets and, and or clutch buckets, he's going to be the guy with the ball in his hands. Um, and I don't think he's going to relinquish that control very easily um, or naturally. So I can definitely see them butting heads, you know, maybe midway through, especially if they're not winning as much. Um, because DeJounte is used to having the ball in his hands. And, I mean, even in the preseason, you know, Trey wasn't really moving without the ball. So it was kind of like just his turn, my turn type thing. And I don't think that's a recipe for success with him. And then John Collins has always been a good good sport about stuff, but he's been wanting to get traded for like three years now. So I just feel like it's not on Brooklyn's level, obviously, lesser talent and, you know, lesser problems have happened in the past, but it's just that kind of, all right, one guy doesn't want to be here. One guy is like really ball dominant. The other guy is a really good defender in DeJounte Murray, but is also used to having the ball in his hand. So someone's going to have to relinquish power. And then even for John Collins, like, He's been saying for years he thinks he's the second guy, and then now they bring in a second guy. So is he cool playing the third third role? Like, is he going to be trying to fight DeJounte for, for more time, more minutes, more points? 
And then even uh, DeAndre Hunter, a guy who I'm really high on, I think is their X factor. You know, I think he can make a big jump this year. And how is that going to affect um, the the chemistry of the team as well? You know, and then you got Okongwu, who's off off the bench, who I think is a a good option. But at what point does he, you know, ascend Clint Capella? So I think it's a lot of question marks. Uh, but tier three, I think is a good spot for them. There's a lot of questions. I do think DeJounte's presence will help Trey um, on both ends conserve energy. I do think that his turn my turn effect for these two guards, I don't think it's conducive success. That style of basketball has never been really conducive to championship winning success. But Ace, DeJounte, his presence in Atlanta, um, how excited are you for him? And uh, do you think he has what it takes to take that next step within a new system where he will no longer be the best player. He really wasn't the best player for very long in San Antonio, but really being a Robin to trade Batman. I like the, um, over time, I've liked the move. I would just like to see how, similar to what I said about Cleveland, um, who's going to be swinging. Somebody's, somebody has to swing and somebody got to be the recipient of the swing. Um, it's never, it never goes coexistent to where, okay, your turn, my turn. Somebody has to take on. And I think if they do it smoothly and peacefully, um, I think it could work real smooth because Trey isn't the most playmaking player. Um, He wants to shoot first. Um, Where DeJounte Murray is more of a slasher um, and can be a, a playmaker. I would like to see him take on like a a young Westbrook type of role with with Atlanta. Um, but that's how I feel about Murray and Atlanta. Time will tell with them, too. As a Lakers fan, you want him to play like Westbrook? What? I noticed the key word in there was young. <laughs> the key word young, in there was young. Young Russ. <laughs> okay. Young Russ. <laughs> not, not, no. <laughs> we'll get to L.A. in a minute. <laughs> I do think Atlanta, one of their biggest concerns is their second unit. Um, A.J. Griffin, Jalen Johnson, Griffin a rookie, Jalen the second year. They're going to be tasked with kind of being productive individuals off that bench. Um, Who is the backup point guard that they're going to potentially have? Obviously, DeJounte and Trey will stagger minutes, but you do need somebody to lead the second rotation. And their overall defensive upside, they were not a very good defensive team last year. And DeJounte's one guy. And so you need multiple active level defenders who I think be a better collective team on that side of the floor. Uh, Can Atlanta be a better defensive team? Do you have faith in their second unit? Which one probably shines the brightest as an asset for them to no longer be a weakness, but maybe an underrated strength? Wait, was that question for me? Yeah, was I was me? like, who is it? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I was for A's. <laughs> nah, okay, so their second unit and defensive team aspect overall, they weren't a very good defensive team last year. DeJounte's one guy. Mm-hmm. And there's huge questions with their second unit, A.J. Griffin and Jalen Johnson. They're young guys. They're going to be a huge part of that second rotation. 
Um, what current weakness out of the two do you have faith can become a strength over time this year? Um, I mean, I, I'm a little biased just because I've, I've been, like, up close and personal with, with um, Jalen Johnson, just watching him during the, that summer league. Like, he was really dominating. Um, and then, um, obviously, getting a chance to talk to him in person. But I, I, I like Griffin, though. I, I like Griffin. I don't know. I, I think he, he's so bow-leg, I feel like he's going to get hurt again. Like, and he's been hurt so many times. But um, I think they both can play a, a role. I'm just not sure how much McMillan's going to play them. Um, he's kind of an old school coach as well. That's like not too privy on the the younger guys. But I think I think Griffin has more defensive uh, capabilities in his game. So I think he may get the nod before um, Jalen does. So I I'm, I'll go Griffin, and he, and he shot the ball pretty well in the preseason. So I can see him in some really small lineups where they put him at the three, Hunter at the four, and maybe Collins at the five and really stretch things out with Trey and um, Bogdanovich or even um, Murray. Ace, last year Atlanta severely underperformed, made the playoffs as an eight seed by winning back-to-back uh, -back games in the play-in. If we get to all-star break <clears throat> and they're on the outside looking, end of the playoff picture, do they finally trade John Collins, do a semi-blow-up, and probably redefine their core around DeJounte and Trey? Um, I feel like that would be the best option um, when it comes to saving the Murray move. Um, I personally want to see um, DeJounte Murray, Trey Young, and John Collins. I want to see that three work. It, I feel like it'd be fun to see that work. Cause I like John Collins. Um, I feel like he has a lot of upside to his game. But um, yeah, that's the best option. I mean, that, that's a nice piece. I know there's a lot of teams that wouldn't hesitate to move on him um, if given the opportunity. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. Like, shoot, if it's not working, man, blow that up and try to redefine some things and get into the playoffs. Yeah, I don't currently know why. John Collins is still being held hostage by them. I do think whenever he does get dealt, because I think it's inevitable, you can get quality pieces uh, for him that can help fill out the roster and make it a lot more complete, especially for that second unit. Uh, Toronto, um, you know, it's the final team. They bring back the same starting five. That was a huge part of them being a playoff team a year ago. Team familiarity is very important. Um, we talk about the regular season early on in the regular season, I might add. Clem, how much confidence that you have that Toronto, who has a tough schedule to start the year, their familiarity with each other as a core can play a huge part in them starting off fast in the East? Um, as far as fast, I think it will be tough with their, with their schedule. Um, but I think that that's a group that's been together – Pretty good uh, amount of time with Siakam being there, Van Fleet, um, Gary Trent. I believe this is year two or three for him. Um, Scotty Barnes is going to take another leap, I think, this year. And then you got Precious Tool who came over last year. Boucher is still there. Um, so I, I, I think I think they'll 
they'll start off a little rocky, but I'm not. I don't think they're gonna be like a team that's over or under 500 early on. They'll probably be a little bit over. But I think because they have such a a, a good core of guys and Nick Nurse, you know, being like a a good defensive coach, I think they'll be able to eke out some wins and go through the obstacles early on and a bounce back throughout the season. Yeah, um, I can agree with that as well. They're still relatively undersized, but it does look like uh, Nick Nurse is going to continue to push the small ball versus the defensive lineup that has really made Toronto famous the past few years. A, Scotty Barnes was the rookie of the year last year, and probably for this team to get into the conversation of maybe a tier two squad out east, he's going to have to take that next step. How confident are you that he can have a sophomore surge this year and potentially by season's end compete with Siakam for the best player on the squad? I'm a little bit on the fence where Scotty Barnes is concerned. He had an impressive rookie year, but um, I don't, I'm not one to get too high on a rookie year. I treat it just like I do the NFL. Um, we don't know what exactly you're bringing to the table, so if we don't figure you out in year one, by all means, ball out. But best believe, second year around, and you still bringing the same type of game. Trust me, we we know how to lock all that up. But um, I'm okay. I'll say I'm fifty five forty five. Fifty five percent of me, I believe Scotty Barnes will take that leap, and there's forty five percent of me that's just like I don't know. But um, I would love to see it, but. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not too positive. I'm not too negative on how Scotty Barnes will will embrace that. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of people's perspective on Scotty. Um, there's a ton of individuals that think he isn't all that. He won't have a chance to be a franchise caliber player. I do think he has the intangibles and the skill sets. And Toronto's a very good place to develop young guys. So I think the sky's the limit for him. But for Clem here. Collective three-point shooting has always been my knock with the Raptors ever since Kawhi left. Um, They get in trouble when they play teams that can offset their great defense with three-point shooting, and they're not really able to match that because you're expecting Scotty Barnes, Siakam, and OG to at least shoot the average. Maybe one-third of those things can happen. Um, How much do you feel like that will continue to hold them back? And can they have a collection of those guys that we shoot league average to be a factor in the East. Yeah, I think, um, oh, I forgot all about uh but I think that's, that's their weakness offensively. Um, not necessarily scoring, but three-point shooting, but in a way, too, like, you know, you, you have Preston Chua who plays center for them, who can knock down a three and has been getting um, his his three ball off and then you also have um Pascal who can shoot it and then Gary Trent and um Fred Van Fleet are, are really good three point shooters individually as well. So I think I think they'll be fine from a shooting perspective. It just depends on the lineup that they have in there. Um Del, uh, Delano Banton, I believe I'm I hope I'm not butchering his name but he, he's a he's a guy I really want to see what they they do with him because he's he's not a good shooter, but he's a great playmaker, um, big point guard, and can affect the game and and, and be kind of like that second playmaker for the team outside of uh, Fred Van Fleet when you talk about coming off the bench playing the point guard position. But 
Scotty Barnes is kind of like a do-it-all type player anyway, so I think they'll be able to make up for the shooting um, with the defense, and they'll be all right. I, I, I think them being in the that middle of the pack, I can see them being the sixth, seventh seed again. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, Ace, anything you want else to add with the Raptors before we move on? I feel like this is starting to become my – at the whistle quote, time will tell, bro. Time will tell where yes, Toronto's concerned. <laughs> <laughs> it sure will. It sure will. We're going to segue to the West because my guy Clem has places to be in an hour. But before we do, playing finalists had the Wizards and the Bulls probably getting those last two spots. I don't think they'll be playoff teams, but I think they'll be um, two squads that'll jockey for the play-in. And then... When we look at the non-playoff team, the Knicks, I think they could potentially win 40 games, but then they also win 30 to 35. They have really a makeshift roster. Orlando and Detroit are lead pass squads, so they're going to be very interesting to watch this season, but I think they're a little bit too young core-wise to be challenging for really even a playing spot. And Indiana and Charlotte are tanking. Um, Charlotte, in my aspect, probably should take any way to provide a second-caliber star player with LaMelo Ball because they don't really get quality for agents in Charlotte and in Indiana, young squad, they're rebuilding. But I do like what I see from Matherin. He looks like he has the potential to be a solid NBA player. And we see what Duarte's been able to provide the past two years. And my guy Reese can ball with the best. Moving on to the Western Conference. Start tier one with their favorites. I got three teams. Clippers, Warriors, Wolves. I think they're the favorites to come out West. Let's dive into the Clippers first, Clem. Their overall team depth is by far a strength. They got tons of guards, got tons <laughs> of wings. Um, they got probably their only weak link is maybe center because outside of Zubox, I don't see a backup since Hardenstein went to the Knicks. Um, their depth, I think, would do wonders throughout the regular season protecting George and Leonard from the injury bug. But how excited are you to see that dynamic um, within the roster, especially at the guard spot with Wall and Reggie Jackson kind of interchanging? opportunities at the lead guard spot. Hey, first of all, I want to say whatever is a whatever is in Ace Cup, I need some of that. <laughs> For those who can't see, that boy take it. He took about four sips just now. <laughs> I think he's a little he's a little uh surprised by your list, Ken. I, I am too. Especially who I who you got tier number two. I'm not surprised. Strawberry um, lemonade for grown folks. Um, but yeah starting off with the Clippers um, I'm high on them Uh, I think the last four years uh, well this is year four, last three years um, it's been just potential with them Um, I know we talked about the Brooklyn Nets like they're another one of those teams where it's like if everything goes right you can definitely see them being in the finals but you look at what's been happening and you're kind of like, well, things have not been going right. Will things ever go right? And I think that's where we are again with them. You know, I think they're the favorites. Like, obviously, if nobody's hurt, if Kawhi and PG's there, I think they can get to the finals. Like, we all think that. The question is really, is Kawhi going to be able to play 55-plus games and be healthy in the playoffs? Because that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. Um, you talked about the, the lack of depth with Zubak, but I, 
I think personally, like their their ideas for small ball with Robert uh, Covington playing the five. I don't I don't know how well that's gonna work, especially now that they're not playing against Rudy Gobert. Um, but it'll be inter- interesting to see because they do have a lot of six seven, six eight, six nine guys who you can stretch out um, from from the two to the four, even the five at times. Um, but I don't know if Marcus Morris and Robert Covington are going to be effective down the stretch on defense at the five position. Um, so we'll see. But if they're healthy, they're finals contenders. If they're not, I mean, they'll probably still make the playoffs regardless, but they'll be out in the first one or two rounds. Yeah, it's been a story of the Clippers for the past few years. When they're healthy, they're up there with the best. When they're not, they're still playoff factors, but they're ways away from contending. Um, Ace, it feels like Reggie Jackson and John Wall have been neck and neck at the point guard spot when it comes to battling for that starting position throughout the preseason. As the season goes on, do you see Ty Lue relinquishing the rings for Wall as his lead guard or Reggie? John Wall. Because if he, I feel like right now it's just a matter of showing if he's comfortable. So until we know you're comfortable, yeah, we'll keep Reggie in the starting lineup. But I feel like he, he, over time, if it's consistent and Wall is definitely healthy, he'll emerge as a starting uh, point guard. Yeah, I can agree with that sentiment as well. Um, obviously, the weakness for the Clippers is injuries. Uh, Clem touched on it earlier. Uh, can Kawhi play 55 games? I think he will be. They loaded up on a lot of wing depth really the past two years for this season right here. Um, I think the Clippers, they're going to have probably the same mindset as the Warriors. We're going to get into next. They're going to play their key guys in key matchups, kind of to remind the West we're still here. But throughout the year, you're going to see a lot of low management. You're going to see a lot of staggered minutes with different rotations to rest these guys. And um, I do think come playoff time, Paul George and Kawhi will be there healthy. And if that's the case, they got a great chance to come out the West. Golden State, um, I say a big strength for them as my number two team out West. Healthy James Wiseman. Clem, he's looked very active offensively. Now, defensively is another story. He stays getting in foul trouble. But on the offensive side, he showcased the jump shot, his rim running ability, a lob threat. How productive do you see him being as their JaVale McGee as a second unit guy off the bench? Um, I don't know, man. Because the, the, the first preseason game was like, oh, okay, James Wiseman. And then it's kind of like, second one was I, third one was, it's just been like, okay, like, I just don't know how many opportunities he's going to really get to showcase his talent. And then with him being drafted so high, um, I don't know how he's going to feel really about coming off the bench. And especially if you play, don't get me wrong, Kevon Looney's a solid role player and, you know, played an important part in them winning that championship last year. But if I'm, you know, a top pick like that, I'm finally healthy. I want to start. I want to play but then he's going to have to be split in time with guys like Jonathan Kaminga and, excuse me, Draymond Green, Kevon Looney. Like, they they have the curse of um, too much depth 
You know, like how many people can you really play? You only play five at a time. So I can, I, I can just see him in a situation where he's not happy because he's not getting a chance to really um, show what he got. And, you know, the Warriors are going to have to just balance this out because even, even though they want to make sure everyone gets fed, you know, Curry's still got records he want to break, you know. Draymond's on a contract year. Clay's trying to bounce back. Jordan Poole just got paid. So everybody's going to want their touches, you know. And there's only two real guys who I know are going to be passing up shots, and that's Wiggins and Draymond because they're not the greatest offensive players. But everybody else is like, look, I'm going to get mine. So <laughs> Moody trying to get some minutes too. And then they brought in DiVincenzo, like who was hurt all well, pretty much all of last year and was on the championship team before. And then the Kings let him go. So he went from the best to the worst. Sorry, Cam. Um, and I'm sure, he, I'm sure he hurt. Like, man, like, like I was just, I was just for y'all just getting ready to win a ring. And now, you know, then I went to the Kings and now they ain't even want me. So every, I feel like they have a lot of guys who want something to prove. So I don't know if Wiseman's going to get the opportunities he needs to get his confidence up. It may really come down to Wiseman, like, lineup. Like, I think depending on the lineup, he'll be fine. But if he's on a lineup where Curry's out there, Poole's out there, Wiggins out there, Clay out there, you just going to have to get it off the glass. And you're right, as a second overall pick, number one rated high school prospect coming out of Memphis, yeah, that's not what you signed up for. And um, Ace, obviously a big weakness I have for Golden State, a concern. All of their young guys, Moody, Kaminga, Wiseman, they're all going to have to take steps forward that kind of Jordan Poole took for, I think, this team to probably repeat. That's how deep the West is this year. How confident are you that can collectively happen with three guys? Or in reality, it may just have to be one, and the other two are just going to have to fit in how they can. That's exactly what I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be one. And I think that one – that one probably for me is going to be Kaminga. Um, like Kaminga's upside. Kaminga has the – for me, he has the potential to be the next Draymond for them. Um, he has that enforcing spirit, um, young, versatile. Um, I, I like him for, for to be that one. Uh, as Clem mentioned, those preseason games, I mean, you like, okay, Wiseman is back. And it's kind of like, okay, Wiseman back. So, you know, you're not too high on – I mean, if I mean, we can be shocked. This is all preseason talk. This is all – I mean, tomorrow we live, but this is all preseason talk. But just on paper and on the surface, man, I don't see every – I don't see all three of them taking Jordan Poole leaps to fuel – um, them running it back. I don't. Yeah, I don't see all three of them either, but I do think Kaminga is probably the best out of all of them because he has an established role, and his role is be Draymond. Now, I think as a prospect long-term, he could be much more than that, but as of right now, as they have their core here and they're trying to pursue championships, that's his defined role, and due to his athleticism and activity, that's 10 to 15 points a game easy. And so... So he might take the biggest leap because of his defined role and the expectation. Everybody else is just going to have to get in how they can fit in. That's why I'm just not sold on Golden State repeating. Um, 
They still got their core. Curry is still in his prime. They're going to be a very good team because of their depth. But come playoff time, everybody has their scouting report out on Poole and Wiggins. Who else do they have to worry about in a playoff series? That remains to be seen. Uh, last but not least, the Wolves in Tier 1. Um, obviously, their strength for sure for Minnesota has to be addressing the five. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns was not a very productive five as a rim protector, Clem. They get Rudy Gobert. How much does he provide to a team that really took a collective leap forward defensively because of Pat Beverly, who's no longer there, but Anthony Edwards taking the next step on that end, J.D. McDaniels as well. What does Gobert provide at the five that makes them a very complete defensive team? Well, if you look back at that series from Memphis, um, some would say that they should have won, but they didn't primarily because of their lack of rebounding and defense. And um, lo and behold, those are Rudy Gobert's two greatest skill sets. So I think he compliments them well. And, you know, I, I had a double take when I saw you have the Wolves in tier one, because I'm like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> but also what I, you know, sit down and ponder on I probably have them in two, but I can see why they may be in one because I, I, I keep going back to imagine, pretty much imagine Carl Anthony Towns getting traded to the Utah Jazz from last year. Like that's a team that was, in the one or two seed for two years in a row. And then you add an all-star talent to that. It's kind of like, okay, well, it makes sense for them to be like the number one seed in the West. So that's basically what happened here. Like, you know, Mitchell's probably at this point a bit better than um, than uh, Edwards, but you add in Rudy Gobert to two guys, to a perennial all-star and an a all-star, arguably the best shooting big man in the game right now. So I think Carl Anthony Towns being able to get away from the paint offensively and then Rudy Gobert playing alongside a guy like D'Angelo Russell who's in a contract year. And if you remember his last contract year, he made the all, uh, all-star team. He played really well. Um, that's not going to happen this time around, but I think he's going to be a guy who's going to make sure he tries to find Gobert. And he's like, when we talk about these teams and we talked about the third best player, like the third guy usually is the one who has to do the dirty work or has to sacrifice for others. And I think Russell, even though I, I think that Gobert or... Edwards is probably the the third best player. Um, I think D'Angelo Russell is going to do a good job being the the guy who appeases to everybody. Like I think he'll sacrifice more shots, and I think he'll pass more to Gobert um, than anybody else on that team. Well, maybe McLaughlin does a good job of getting guys involved, but it's going to be interesting. I think Gobert is going to compliment them well, and. I'm not going to be surprised if they are a top three team in the West. So the tier doesn't make sense. I applaud you, Cam. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I have the tier one is they're a very good defensive team. Um, And adding Gobert, I think, helps their biggest weakness, which was at the rim. Because I think they did a pretty good job guarding the perimeter because of Edwards and McDaniels. But, Mm -hmm. Ace, the X Factor is obviously – going to be ironically enough you never really think about it an x-factor being the team's fourth best player 
But D'Angelo Russell's their fourth best player. And he's going to really dictate how far this team can go come playoff time in terms of how he features Gobert offensively. Can he, you know, set up Carnathy Towns and Anthony Edwards offensively to get good looks while he also gets his own? He was not very good in the playoffs last year, Ace. How confident are you in a contract year? D'Lo puts his best foot forward and elevates the Wolves into conference final finalists. His back going to be real heavy from that load that he's going to have to carry. But um, I think he can do it. Um, I think the energy <clears throat> that's riding in that locker room right now, knowing what they just acquired and everything else, um, it's all about the roles and embracing the roles. So if they have that chemistry and the camaraderie in the locker room, I feel like D'Lo can definitely embrace his role. Um, it'll be it'll be real interesting. But what do I always say? Time will tell. Time will tell <laughs> what D Lo what D will pull. But I do have faith in him. I, I love D Lo. Feel like he'll ball this year. Um, he's not one to have consecutive uh, mishaps. So I, I I would love to see it, but. I will tell. <laughs> Clem's not the biggest fan of D'Lo, but um, as the fourth best player on the team, his job is pretty simple. Um, control the pace of the offense and don't mess up. I mean, just be respectable defensively, be efficient offensively. That's all you got to do. I know Clem's still shaking his head, but I got faith he can do that in the contract year, and he's going to be a big part of why they could be a Western Conference finalist team. I mean, he's going to have to them to get over the top tier two lumen adversaries memphis denver and the pelicans so the grizzlies i know clem is not a fan i strengthen my opinion for the memphis is their depth hasn't taken a hit um they're not gonna have jaron jackson for a month but from what i've saw in the preseason aldama at the four while he doesn't give you what jaron provides defensively he can get you 10 to 15 points um and then off the bench, we've seen splat flashes of Roddy. Um, Conchar shown some things. LaRavia as a spacer. Um, Brandon Clark just got an extension yesterday at a very affordable price. Um, they can still go 10 to 11 deep, and that ish matters in the regular season. Clem, how confident are you in their depth? Or are you not sold? If Do you still feel losing DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson? Or hurt them in the long run? I am not sold. And look, man, say what y'all want to say. <laughs> like, first of all, it's, it's not even the fact that everyone in the West got better. We're talking about the Wolves. We're talking about the Pelicans. We're talking about the Clippers, right? Even the, the, the Warriors, who were already pretty good, all the young guys are taking another step forward. And not saying that Memphis young guys aren't. But I think we're underrating, one, the depth that they did have. Like, Zaire Williams, Williams is, is good off the bench. Cool. But you're asking Santi Aldama to be the starting power forward for this team. Like, in a packed Western Conference? Let me let me let me tell y'all who who they gonna be who he's gonna be lining up against night in and night out. 
All right. Anthony Davis, if he not hurt. But Anthony Davis, <laughs> Zion Williamson. We talking about, say what you want, but Sabonis has made multiple all-star teams. Draymond's not a great offensive player, but he going to pick apart everything. So every night is going to be a battle where he's going to, like, he's going to get picked on. Like, last year he played 32 games, 4.1 points. Like, this is only his second season. He's 21 years old. Like, come on, man. You you asking this dude to do a lot. Don't get me wrong. Brandon Clark, like, great guy off the bench. But losing Jaron Jackson, your best defensive player, is a big hit. Losing Kyle Anderson, I mean, I would argue probably your third best playmaker outside of Ja and, um, and Tyus Jones. That's a pretty big hit. And DeAnthony Melton, like, as much time as Ja missed, like, I love Tyus as a playmaker, but DeAnthony did take up a lot and help their defense. So a lot of the time when Ja was out, it increased their defense. And that was a big part due to DeAnthony Melton. Not only is he, like, a bigger guard, more he's athletic as well, but very good defender, can stretch the floor better, and not a bad playmaker. So you're talking about a lot of, a lot of um, responsibilities being shifted here. So Desmond Bain, I keep coming back to the same point. Desmond Bain is going to have to be the best player for them at least 20 games this year in a packed Western Conference. All right? So a lot of and, – and, and like I said, your first when – you, when you first get out there and nobody know who you are, it's cool. Like – not only y'all been talking noise, so everybody at your neck, but you you were successful. You know what I'm saying? So now everybody, they got a year's worth of film on you. They know what your strengths are. They know what your weaknesses are. They know how to pinpoint you and get you in a pick and roll to isolate you and extract that. So I, I personally, like, I would have put them in at least three, if not four. Um, I think they're gonna be in that playing range. I know it sounds blasphemous, but we go. This is one of the things we're gonna be going at it all year. I'm already knowing, but I, 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 I am not a believer. Um, I think that Ja's gonna miss time as always, just because of the way he plays. And with Jaron Jackson starting the year out, and with people wanting their heads now, it's 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 gonna be hard with the expectation they set last year. The number two seed. Anything they do less than that, people are gonna be like, "Oh yeah, like they not they not where they was at before." With young teams, you know, when when the vibes ain't good, things go downhill real bad. And of course, Ja highlights is popping up right in front of me. That, that's a bad boy though. That's a bad shout out to Ace man. That's a bad boy. But yeah, my rant's over. Go ahead. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> couple things. I I do think the narrative of guys are going to be at their neck is a little bit overblown. I think we stated before Clippers and the Warriors throughout the year um, are probably going to rest their guys. Obviously, Memphis is a big matchup on their schedule, so early on when they play Memphis, they're going to play with their full set of individuals, but I think with the Grizzlies, what they have, continuity, relatability, I think Bain can take that next step and be a best player for them sporadically throughout the year. He's looked like he's starting to put it all together in the preseason, putting the ball on the floor a little bit more. You know he's got that shot on him. Aldama, offensively, all he's going to be required to do is space the floor, knock down some open threes, be active around the basket. He's shown potential with that. 
thing with the Grizzlies, man, they developed their guys well. And for the past few years, everybody on their team has improved. Last year, everybody took the step forward. I do think that can continue as well. I do think a big part of what can be a concern is injuries. Ja, he's got to stay healthy and durable, play at least 60 games. I think injuries is what can push them to Tier 4. I think if guys are healthy, they're going to be okay. They're going to win 50-plus games. They're going to be jockeying for a top three seed. But Ace, I do think the weakest link on their squad is Dylan Brooks. Seeing him play this year, he's the same. Still throws up bricks, still hacks with the best of them. I know that's their glue guy. I know that's their Draymond of their team. But it just feels like Zara Williams is breathing down his neck, and he's probably a better, more reliable, and suitable 3 and D option. Dylan Brooks, man, he's coming up. He's in a contract year himself. Do you see him lasting with this team past this year? If he looks anything like he has preseason and last season and postseason, no, he won't be there. Don't feel like he will. That was actually going to be um, – I didn't know what question you were coming with, but I was somehow going to allude to Mr. Brooks because um, I felt like his game play and – um, the inconsistency of what he can bring to the table was the downfall of their postseason woes. Um, so, I, yeah, Dylan won't – no, absolutely not. <laughs> if he's looking anything like that, he won't look, He won't be there. Yeah, he, he's, he's my biggest concern um, because he doesn't look like he's shooting the ball particularly well. He's a ball stopper. So when you're a ball stopper – who doesn't shoot the ball particularly well, you kind of become a deterrence within the offense. So that is my concern with the Grizzlies. But everybody else has looked promising. And I think in the regular season, depth matters, rotations matter. And a lot of the best guys are said in the league, by playing hard, you can win 40 games. You know Memphis every night is going to put their best foot forward and bring the intensity. They got the star impact players that can get them an added 10 games some nights. I think they'll be okay, but Dylan Brooks, I think, is a concern for me on that squad. Um, Denver up next. This is Clem's hot team, favorite team. He's really high on the Nuggets. I'll give Clem this. They can score with the best. And Porter Jr. and Murray, if they're on the floor and they're available, they will take a huge load off of Nikola Jokic. How confident are you that their offense as a collective will be probably a top five one by season's end with all their resources back healthy and in the room? I think I'm 100% confident in them, especially offensively. Um, I think they're going to be either the second, anywhere from one to three. Like, I think they'll, they're they going to be um, very good, as, as you alluded to. I am high on them. Um, I mean, for the simple fact that Jokic, Jokic's second best offensive player last year was Monty Morris and they were the sixth seed in the Western Conference. Like, and I get it, last year was a down year, but you're adding Jamal Murray, who, he, let's say he has a year like a clay, where he doesn't, he's not fully himself, but he's still, like, able to average in 18 points a game or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if Porter doesn't finish the season with them. I think they're going to ramp him back up, and then when the value's high enough, they'll ship him out. Um, but while he's here, you're talking about, like, 
three high-level scores. And then Bruce Brown, I think, is going to be great in the pick and roll with Jokic. And then you bring in KCP as well, who can not only play defense, but can stretch the floor, who's won a championship. And then Aaron Gordon, too, I think is a sleeper guy. Like, he's not going to score a bunch of points, but like we talk about with the dirty, the uh, the the fourth and third guy, like there has to be that guy who's like, don't worry about me on offense. I'm going to get rebounds or do whatever else. I'm just going to hustle, do whatever I got to do to help the team win, do all the dirty stuff. And he's that guy on the team, and every championship team needs that guy. So um, I think the only piece they're missing is like a guy with a little more edge um, who's going to push people's buttons more. Uh, maybe KCP is that guy. He, you know, he was getting into it a little bit in um, in Washington, and he, you know, he won a championship, so he knows what it takes. Um, but I'm high on I'm high on the Nuggets, and I can definitely see them being a top five offensive team. Yeah, I think a lot of this is contingent on Porter Jr. Murray. His health, I think, they'll be uh, gradually watched minutes wise throughout the year. But Ace, look, they could score. But one problem that I saw in, you know, the preseason is they still really can't stop anybody. And that's even despite adding Bruce Brown and KCP, who are solid perimeter guys, but they're just two guys, and they can only do so much. So when I see you let OKC's G League squad put up 100 on you, you know, when the Warriors, when they had their four guys out there, they were going up and down the floor effortlessly. That's a problem. Already not a huge Mike Malone fan, but do you feel like Ace, their defense is going to really hold them back from being what a lot of people expect them to be? Because Clemson's not the only one. There's a lot of guys out there that think this is a top two to three seed team. But will their defense hold them back this year? I can see how that would be a question. But when you got guys like KCP, Bruce Brown, um, Michael Porter went healthy. Jeff Green, I mean, uh, these are defensive anchors, even though old. I mean, I've seen DeAndre Jordan's face, but I'm not going to mention. <laughs> I'm not going to mention that. But um, I think that will be their Achilles heel. Um, it, it's theirs to lose for me because I'm, I'm actually in agreement with, with Clem. I feel like – I feel like um, – the scoring is as long as it may, as long as it's at an all time high, and everybody stays healthy, they will be a top five seed. The defense, I mean, it matters. Don't get me wrong; defense always matters. But as long as they can be somewhat stationary, of course, I feel like they'll be a top five. They'll be a top five team. Hey, you know who would be great for 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 the Nuggets? Oh, Dylan oh. Brooks. <laughs> Get him out of trade, there. Get trade him Dylan Brooks for Michael Porter Jr. I guarantee you that's that's a solidified uh, Western Conference Finals right there. They need a guy with edge. That's all they're missing. That might not be a bad fit for Denver. But right now, the roster that they have <clears throat> screams a solid five seed. Score with the best of them. That's going to work some nights. But I just feel like the teams above them just play better defense. And if you're already going to let them score, match score for score with you, it's going to come down to five possessions of stops. And I have more faith in the teams above them. I even got more faith in the Pelicans who are below them to be a better defensive team. And they're next. 
I Segway. really like New Orleans' <laughs> second unit. They looked pretty good in the preseason. Um, Clem, that second unit was a huge part of their starting rotation last season in the playoffs. How confident are you that Alvarado, um, Najee Marshall, Larry Nance, Devontae Graham can potentially make the Pelicans a top-five bench unit in basketball? Well, I think it'll be interesting to see who gets more minutes between Nance and uh, Jackson Hayes. But um, Alvarado has looked really, really, really good in the preseason. Uh, obviously, we know GTA and his uh, defensive abilities, but he's been looking like a true point guard out there. Um, so that surprised me. I was like, okay, I didn't even know he had, you know, this playmaking and, um, you know, uh, in his game for real. So. That was nice to see. But just like Nance and, and Hayes, I think Dyson was really good too and is bigger and a better defender. So I think it'll be interesting to see how they play those four um, because you still got Trey Murphy. Najee Marshall was, was good too. Um, but everybody can't play. You know what I'm saying? Like there's only so many minutes. There's one ball. I mean, I guess... It may be helpful for them, like, in a good way, in a bad way, if Zion can't play as much so he can get more minutes to everybody else. But, you know, hopefully Zion stays healthy this year because, you know, I, I miss watching him dunk all over everybody. Everybody can't play like Clem said, but I do think the health of Zion and Jackson Hayes already currently will be out for a month. Yeah, you know, surgery or whatnot. So I think those elements will open up the rotation more for the young guys to be a factor. But Ace, the elephant in the room, is Zion's health. He's looked pretty good, very in yeah. shape, very active in the preseason, but he turned his ankle against the heat towards the end. There's still questions about will he be ready opening night against the Nets. Right. Um, how confident are you Zion can at least play 50? Well, I'm not even giving him a game. How confident are you? Playoff time, he's there. He's close to 100% for the Pelicans to make a run. I think that's on the staff. Um, that's on the staff. Be honest about exactly how this man is feeling. Be honest about his health. <clears throat> um, don't shortchange anything just to sell your tickets and fill seats. Um, I feel like... I don't know, man, because how they handled him being hurt the first time was, was it's still iffy. Verdict is still out on that. Um, I mean, you had partial basketball population feeling like he could he could play. He's well eligible to play. You had others feeling like, no, he's really hurt. He can't play. But um, I feel like if, if he's true to his body, he's taking care of himself, and the organization and Zion are meeting halfway on everything and they are in agreement to everything. He'll be fine, man. They, I actually have, I'll, I'll wait till we get to our, our uh, award predictions for that. But um, yeah, definitely. I feel like he, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Those things stay intact. He'll be okay. Yeah. Early in his career, really ever since Van Gundy left, they've been very protective of him and they have the roster this year to where if you don't know, they can sit him. And for a five, six-game stretch, survive with Ingram and McCollum as your two best players. So it really comes down to Zion's health. When he's out there, they're a very dynamic team. That will really dictate the ceiling of this Pelican squad moving forward. 
And in tier three, the French playoff participants, the Suns and the Mavs, I think are going to get the last two spots. A strength for the Suns, I guess, Clem, is their core is still here, even though Aiden doesn't look like he wants to be there. Um, Paul Booker and Aiden, they've had a great two-year run. Do you think they can reach their ceiling in year three? Can they get any better than what they've been the past two seasons? Um, It's hard to get past uh, get better than last season, so I'm going to say no. I think they will obviously miss the play in. I can definitely see them in that four to five range. But it's tough, man, because like I can see Chris Paul taking a a a downslide this year. And then Aiden should be coming up more this year, but with everything that happened in the offseason, I just don't know if if he's, you know, wanting to run through a brick for the for the team anymore you know that's one thing they talked about all the time last year was it's easy to play and do all the stuff for each other because one we're winning and two like we like each other we like he talked about Monty Williams being like a father figure to him and how you know he would run through a wall for him and that's gone you know what I'm saying and it's like okay at the end of the day you know yeah we're gonna go out there do our jobs but it's like when you when you at war with, with somebody, you don't want to be questioning their loyalty with you. Like so, little things like running up and down the floor or like giving that extra effort, stuff like that. He's probably he already's not the you know most motivated guy when you talk about like just fitness and and you know uh, things of that nature. So when you take that into consideration with the you know subtle beef he got with the coach, it's just like. Just another one of those ticking time bombs. Like, it's only a matter of time before Monty say something to him in a heated moment, and he just like, like nigga, fuck you. Like, oh, excuse my like, <laughs> like, dude, I don't rock with you like that. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's gonna blow up. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> and you know, Chris Paul's the type of person. He, he's an instigator, so he's not gonna make it any better. Um, so I, I just think. You know, in their perfect world, they would have been able to trade him this summer and got something back, but they can't. So now they're just trying to, you know, like smile in each other's face till do, till they can trade each other. But I don't know, man. It's a double negative for me. And then the add on top of it, Jay Crowder don't even want to be there no more. So it's like, there no more. yeah, and it's it's getting the season start tomorrow. He hasn't come to training camp. He didn't do preseason. He's still not reporting the team. And it's like he's under contract, so it's not like you can just cut him and get somebody else, you know. So it's just it's tough, man. Like that, I, I think all those factors are gonna be outside of the uh, top four, and I don't know. I they might be going home in the first round. I think, but I think they'll definitely at the at the peak they'll be going home in the second round. As much as I love, like, but right, and A's like two years ago, their depth was a strength and now coming into the year it really feels like starting five or bust and when you have a team like that chemistry is really important so DeAndre Ayton he's the big elephant in the room he got the deal but it's clear he didn't want to get the deal from the Suns right um, how confident are you that at least to January he's engaged enough to where both parties can meet in the middle and you know transgress from there or by the time we hit the new year, they're underperforming. He's very unhappy. 
and he's out of there before the deadline. I'm all in on the latter, man. Um, I don't feel like it's so much going on with that organization right now, man, to where you don't know what's going where. And most of the not knowing is negative. Um, there's no upside to any of that. Um, I would, I mean, taking the, the pandemonium out of things, man, I would love to see their organization work because they was in the trenches for so long and finally was seeing, you know, seeing the sun and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. But like you just said, man, I mean, starting five or bust and your starting five don't even want to be there. <laughs> Jay Crowder doesn't want to be there. Um, I feel like it's going it, to it'll pan out. D-Book probably start playing hero ball, and we'll see the reflection of their locker room on the court. Um, Chris Paul is on the deathbed of his career. Um, he lost a lot of credibility after last year's postseason. There's a lot riding on last season, and none of it is really good. So we we don't know. Um, it. <laughs> I need a segment called Time Will Tell, man. Because like, that's, that's what it's going to be. They may have the most pressure on opening night. I mean, because ironically enough, they play Dallas on opening night. And so that's the rematch from last year. That's where the collapse started at the crib. And they have a lot of demons that they need to rewrite. And they can really set a tone for better or worse come Wednesday night against the Mavs, who... I have as an eight seed because Clem Luka Doncic is a top five player. Um, he's top three in my eyes. The problem is that roster is not really good. Now, they did get JaVel McGee. That's an improvement at the five. But they lost Jalen Brunson, and I don't think they really replaced him. This roster around Luka, Clem, can they win 45 games? Like, is that even tangible for the squad this season? I think it is. Um, Tim Hardaway got hurt last year. Um, I believe it was not too long after that All-Star break, so that did have an impact on where they went. But I think that you have Jason Kidd testing Christian Wood right now, who's their second best player. Um, he's trying to see if he has the mentality of a championship-level player. So he's bringing him off the bench early on. I think once Christian Wood shows him how good he is and that he can buy into playing a smaller role, he'll then bring him into the starting lineup. Because, I mean, you like, let's be real, there's not three guys on that team better than than uh, Christian Wood. I wouldn't even say, outside of Luka, another guy better than him. Um, but I think we sleep on the fact that Dinwiddie then Woody can hoop, bro. And he just came back off of a year where he tore his ACL. Or was it his Achilles? I think it was the ACL. Um, but yeah, he yeah, he he just that was his first year back, and I don't even think he played the full season. You know what I'm saying? And then you have Tim Hardaway who's gonna come back. So you have Luca who's gonna be, you know, running the point for them. Um or even then when he didn't when he has played some point when Kyrie and him were together in um in Brooklyn. But they're, they're going to be your backcourt, and then you have Tim Hardaway. So they're going to be a little small, but then when you really think about it, 6'6", six, 6'6", six, 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 and 6'7", six, it's not really that small when you think about your wings. So um, Luka, not only 6'7", but 
200, what, 20, 30 pounds. You know, he can guard threes. Um, so I think they'll be fine on the wings. The real question is, can Christian Wood be that second option um, for them down the stretch? And how does he play alongside Luka? Um, I think stylistically it could work. I just don't know if Christian Wood's going to have the ego to play, you know, Jason Kidd's in mind games early on. And then also to, like, be take the back seat to a guy like Luka. Like, not because Luka's not great, but just because Christian was the type of guy who's, like, he feels like, you know, he could be better than anybody. He got that type of confidence. Um, and then you pair that with JaVale McGee, you know. That's their defensive anchor. So you can see those three, along with Christian Wood and JaVale McGee down the line. I can see them. They could possibly be a four seed in the in the, the best the best world, but then they could also be a ten seed. So we'll see. Yeah, I think the only reason why Wood's coming off the bench is the defense. I mean, obviously offensively he's a great fit. Pick and pop, stretch four, Corona run stop, you know, run up and down the floor, a lob threat. It's just defensively Dorian Finney Smith's better. And so maybe off the bench Keith is trying to instill to him, look, you have starting caliber talent and potential. We just need it to showcase itself on both ends. Um Ace, the issue is Brunson's gone and I don't think Spencer Dinwiddie is the replacement at the backup point guard spot. It didn't work in Brooklyn for Spencer as the lead general. It didn't work in DC as the lead general. What worked in Dallas is he's the off guard that can just get buckets. Now he's going to have to regulate the second unit. Are you confident third time's the charm? It can work here in Dallas like it didn't in Brooklyn or DC, or is it going to be more of the same to where at the deadline Dallas is, you know, looking for a backup point guard that can relieve Dinwiddie of his duties? I have faith in him. I think this is just going to be his audition to prove that, yes, y'all need to keep me. Um, Y'all did right in, you know, dealing or letting Jalen Brunson walk and do, you know, let him go. Um, But like Clem said, then what is a hooper? So um, I think he can, he can definitely, you know, seize the moment um, and be exactly what Dallas needs them to be. Now I feel like that'll be the complete X factor as to what's going to make them be a top seed. Because I mean, if we look at the roster, they really didn't change. I like the addition of Christian Wood, but, um, there's no really, there's no drastic changes to say, ooh, most definitely they, they top five. Um, I still see Luca doing his Harden-esque, um, impression and team on his back and just hooping. But, um, yeah, I, I, I have faith in Dinwiddie. Yeah, man, I mean, they overachieved last year, so this is basically <clears throat> the same overachieving roster with the addition of Wood. Um, but anytime you got a guy like Luca, you always have a chance to win a playoff series. But I, the big question is Woods' adaptability in the starting lineup as a defensive guy, and then can Dinwiddie take that Brunson role and thrive? Playing finalists, we'll talk about the Lakers, and then I'll wrap up the West before we go to the awards. They're at my ninth spot, and at first I was telling you guys if AD's healthy, this is a playoff team. But then I looked at all the names, and I'm like, I just don't see it. Um, Potentially playing you guys or well, Ace is a huge Laker fan. Clem is invested in the Lakers somewhat, not fully. Start with Clem here. For the Lakers to be a playoff team, what needs to happen? 
Number one, I think that they need to trade Westbrook for Heald and Miles Turner. Um, I think that allows them to stretch the floor even further. And currently, right now, uh, LeBron is their best three-point shooter, which is a huge problem. So, um, having Patrick Beverly run point, or even Kendrick Nunn, and then um, having Buddy Heald there to really stretch the floor, and LeBron, AD, and Miles Turner, who can stretch the floor as well. Um, I think that'll open up their game. You know, LeBron's story has been very easy. He plays very well with rim-running big men and guys who can sit in the corner and shoot threes. That's Buddy Heald and AD. You already got one piece to the puzzle. You're just missing this one last guy. So um, I think that's all they need to be in the playoff conversation. Um, if we're talking about going further, then AD's going to have to not only play good, or not good, but better, bubble AD, um, and stay on the court. But I just, realistically, I cannot see LeBron playing, you know, 70 games anymore. Like, the last, I know people are like, oh, well, they were, like, the last three years he's gotten hurt and missed significant time. AD has not played 70 games since the 2018 season, I think it was. And he's only getting older and even more fragile. So, um, honestly, it, it's just going to be tough because it seems like Palinka and the Lakers are trying to hold on to the picks because LeBron is aging and he does get hurt a lot now. Um, but it's either you're going to have to throw everything in or just throw everything out. And they're playing on the fence right now. And we know that gets you hurt. Ace, you're a loyal Laker fan. You have a choice between keeping your last two first-round picks this decade or mortgaging them for Buddy Hill and Miles Turner. What move are you making and why? Oh, man. This is a difficult position to be in. But... Because of the culture, I would say deal them now. Because when being when dealing with the Lakers is either we're not satisfied with um, playoff contention, it's championship or bust every time. And I mean, being that you still have AD and Bron on your roster, um, that says everything that you need to know. Um, they went out and got a chip in twenty twenty. Though some say that one is a hobble chip, but it's a chip nonetheless. Um, they they went out and got it, so that's been the that's been the the template of the duo for the longest, and just waiting on AD's um health. But I would definitely trade those picks, acquire Buddy Hill and Miles Turner, and get back to some winning ways because it's going to get very 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 scary if we look anything like we did last season. Absolutely. Um, once LeBron got the extension, Westbrook should have been out of there because what you're basically saying is we're trying to win now. Yeah. And if you're trying to win now, you're going to have to give up those picks. Give Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. And now you have a five of Beverly, Heald, Bron, A.D. Turner. That looks a lot better. And I can honestly say that's a playoff team for sure as a five or six seed if guys stay healthy. But 
they don't want to do it right now. They're, they're like in this limbo stage where we don't want to give up the two picks and we're going to try Westbrook off the bench. Right now, that roster, I've seen their first 10 games. They may be lucky to win two of them. That's just not good enough. They need versatility on all aspects of the floor. And I think the only way they can get that is you got to get rid of Westbrook and the picks to get that back in on your roster. And that's really the situation they're in right now. I'm going to wrap it up in the West. Kings, I have that 10. I think they're a playing team. I like the roster. Have a ton of firepower. They have a coach in Mike Brown. They're going to come with a defensive intensity. I think for this team to take that next step, De'Aaron Fox has to shoot better from the floor. Been kind of shooting below 30% from three. If he can do that, I think the Kings have a chance to be a playing team. Non-playoff teams, Blazers, Rockets, Thunder, Jazz, and Spurs. My issue with the Blazers is they've gotten better defensively, but outside of Lillard and Simon, who is going to be reliable scores from them from all three phases of the floor? I know they got Jeremy Grant. He's fine. But a lot of guys that can play defense and are slashers, I don't think that's enough to win out West. You need multiple aspects of firepower. Rockets and Thunder, I think, are going to be the great league pass teams to watch. I'm really interested to see the Rockets lineup of KPJ, Green, Tate, Smith Jr., Tengun. I think they're a young, up-and-coming team that's going to be an exciting watch, potentially win 30 games. And they'll be a lottery team once again. Imagine this squad with Wimbanyana. That's crazy. The Thunder are going to tank. I don't think they're, they're a 31-team if they gave a shit, but they don't. So they're going to tank. I'm interested to see um, Giddy take that next step. SGA, when he comes back, how he looks potentially OKC it's about building blocks moving forward and then the Jazz and the Spurs they're going to tank um, and they're going to be in the Wimbledon sweepstakes uh, so that's there and there to wrap up the pod we're going to have the award ceremonies um, predictions for our awards Clem I want to start with you kind of list guys you have winning awards MVP six men of the year most improved coach of the year things of that nature kind of give you a little <clears throat> preseason prediction on that aspect and really an explanation why All right, you want me to run through every award or just start with a specific award? Uh, run through every. Okay. And yeah, summarize. All right, so MVP, my top three candidates, I have Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis. Obviously, I don't think Jokic is going to win it because nobody has won it three years in a row since Larry Bird, and he's yet to make a finals, so... Um, I think that's going to play a part in it. Giannis has already won two, but because I think they're going to be in that three, four seed, I think that um, he's going to finish third because of that, even though he'll probably have some of the best numbers of the three. And like I said earlier, I think Embiid's going to do it. Um, as we know, it usually goes to the best player on the team with one of the best records. And I think that Philly's going to have the first or second best record in the uh, East, and um, and Bid's going to lead them there. Uh, Defensive Player of the Year, I have Bam winning it. Um, I have Gobert in second and Draymond in third. Um, I think Draymond on his contract year, especially everything that's just happened, he's going to play like a man on fire, but I think just his age and you know injuries are going to catch up with him and he's going to miss some time. But he's going to be the defensive force for the Warriors and help them um, – be a top defensive team and one of the top teams in the West. I think Gobert is going to play a huge part in Minnesota 
uh, being a top defensive team and um, him playing with McDaniels. I think we're going to see a lot of the McDaniels that we've never seen and even Edwards. Um, but I don't think, similar to Jokic, I don't think he's going to win it just because of voters' fatigue. Um, I think Bam's going to get it because, for one, I think Bam was one of the front runners last year before he got hurt and even when he came back. Um, and with with them not having another defensive force in the paint, I think Bam's going to make up for a lot of their lack on defense, especially with Jimmy not playing as much and Kyle not playing as much. So got Bam winning defensive player of the year there. I'm going to jump to rookie of the year. Paolo, I think, is going to run away with this award just because he's going to have the ball in his hands so much. Um, it's going to be hard to deny that. I think he'll average um, between 18 to 20 seven rebounds, maybe three or four assists. Um, and they won't be that good, but I think he'll be able to win it. A sleeper, y'all need to watch out for for Rookie of the Year. We were just talking about Portland. Shaden Sharp. Shaden Sharp. I think Portland's going to figure out early on that they don't have a chance to compete this year. And I think they will begin to facilitate a tank for Wimbayana, see if they can get their hands in that sweepstake or maybe even scoot. Um, but Shaden Sharp is a 6'6 shooting guard, um, crazy athleticism, um, can score in multiple ways, not very efficient, but I think especially if Dame, if they end up tanking and Dame gets to sit a lot, he's probably going to slide into that starting shooting guard spot and he will light it up. Um, and then I had Matherin here. Um, I think he's similar to, to Sharp. I think he's super athletic and I, I think he's NBA ready now. I don't know how long his long-term potential is going to pan out, but I think he's a guy who is going to get a lot of time with the, uh, Pacers and because they have so many wings, he's a bigger wing. He's, he's probably going to get a chance to play some small forward and even maybe some small bar forward. Unfortunately, but his athleticism and his size, like, and his confidence, he's gonna be in attack mode from day one. Um, and I think he's probably gonna be one of the leading scorers out of the rookie class. Most improved player, I have uh, Maxi. Um, I think that he's gonna make an All Star team this year. Um, and he's, like I said, in, in by the end of the year, I think we're gonna be arguing whether. He's the second best player on the team. His motor's great. He brings it every single night. He plays a lot. Um, and I can see him averaging, and you said 20 points a game. He averaged almost 18 last year. You know, I can see him averaging close to 23 points a game this year, if not more. Um, so, yeah, I got I got him winning most improved. I got France Wagner as the second. Um, I think similar to Paolo, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And he had a really great Euro, uh, Euro uh, basket league. And I can definitely see him taking a step there. Uh, Josh Giddy would be one of my top ones, but I don't know if he's going to play enough because they stay tanking. <laughs> and then uh, Anthony Edwards is like, it was him and Giddy because Giddy's not going to play enough. I don't think he'll make the cut, but I think Anthony Edwards is going to get his first all-star this year too. Um, I think Wolves are going to win a lot of games and then, him, Gobert, and Towns are all going to make an all-star team because they'll probably be a top four or three team in the West. Uh, Coach of the year, 
I got Cam Bowie's guy, Mike Malone. <laughs> I got Mike Malone winning it, man. I think I think Denver is going to be – I think Denver has a chance to be the Phoenix Suns of last year. Um, I can definitely see them winning 50, at least 50 games. But um, especially, you know, a lot of times with these uh, Coach of the Year awards, they look at the – the, the record the previous year where they were at. And I think at the end of the season, when we look back and say, wow, you know, Denver was six seed last year, and this year they're one or two. Um, and Jokic is in the conversation for MVP. And, you know, Porter's getting integrated into the, you know, Porter and, and Murray's getting integrated. I think, I think they'll win enough games to where he can win it. Um, I think Doc will be up there just because they're going to win enough games. And I think Joe Mazzula might be a sleeper pick, too. Like, just the fact that he's going to take over for a team that's already super talented. And um, and I think he'll do a good job with them. Excuse me. And lastly, six men of the year. I got uh, – I feel like he's going to play too many games as a starter, but I got Jordan Poole winning it. Um, I mean – the offensive talent is there, obviously, and I think they're going to start Clay, so he'll get, you know, some time off the bench. And when he comes in, he's going to light it up, you know. He, we already know how he played. Uh, I got Hero as the runner-up, and then I got Brogdon as the sleeper for six-man of the year. I think uh, Smart's going to have the starting job, but I think Brogdon's going to do a good job all season of coming in and um, getting everything together and Smart misses so much time anyways for little knick-knack injuries, so I think he'll get enough opportunities. But that's my list. Ace, up next, uh, before we segue to you, me and Clint had a couple similar. Uh, I'm going to get some out after Ace, but your NBA award predictions as we head into the season for tomorrow. What a Steve. <clears throat> MVP, I got Embiid is my number one. Just because I feel like it's time. Um, if they maintain the same level of greatness, and not only maintain, but if they exceed where they've been and knock down a wall to like MB to win MVP finally. Runner up, I have Giannis. Um, behind Giannis, I have Luca. Honorable mention, I have John Morant. Um, defensive player of the year is tricky for me. Um, I feel like if healthy, and the way he's talking, and if he wants to, Anthony Davis can finally win his defensive player of the year. I'll say that. Um, but on a realistic note, as far as those that will be available and those that will play, um, what Rudy Gobert brings to the table for Minnesota, um, and they're actually they're, – they'll be getting TV time and everything like that the spotlight will be on them. So I, I could see Ruby Gobert getting it. And then Draymond Green. Um, rookie of the year. I have, um, with Chet going down, um, it would be right for me to say Paolo being number one. But somebody else that has um, the same type of opportunity and the same type of tick that Paolo probably would be seeing is Keegan Murray in Sacramento. Um, I like Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray is um, – a complete player. He's, I mean, it's not flashy, but Keegan Murray is definitely uh, my number one. Uh, Paolo will be number two. 
and as a toss-up, Jabari Smith and Jay Nivey at number three. Um, sixth man of the year, I really – it's between Jordan Poole and the hero for me. I'm with Clem. Um, it depends on how many games he plays as a starter because I do see that. Um, Jordan Poole is no secret. He's a he's a hooper. Um, and Tyler Hero, if he wants to get over that threshold, I mean, I just need to see consistency, and I feel like the award is either or for the taking. Um, most improved, I really did not look for second and third options. I'm locked in on Tyrese Maxey. Um, I feel like if Embiid is playing at an MVP caliber and influencing the locker room for everybody to step up and everybody to play, um, Tyrese Maxey will embrace that role and the spotlight will be on him. Um, kind of like what Memphis seen in, in Desmond Bain um, in their ascension. For Coach of the Year, um, I have Willie Green. I believe New Orleans will take a, a tremendous leap. Um, so much of a leap if everybody stays healthy and everybody stays uh, consistent with gameplay. Willie Green will definitely win that award. Keegan Murray, I like that one because he's my rookie of the year. Um, <laughs> I think like Scotty Barnes last year, he's going to be in a situation where Sacramento is going to be competing for playoff positioning. He's going to eventually get the starting wing role and like said it's not flashy but he can shoot the ball very well and he's a versatile scorer that's a good 15 to 17 points per game and I think there's going to be a few nights where he's going to be a big part of why Sacramento get some wins that they might not supposed to and that's going to be influential towards them being a play-in squad so I got Keegan for rookie of the year most improved it's Tyrese Maxey's to lose um the role is his he's improved every year from a scoring pro projection and I think he averages 20 points a game this year. And if he does, that's his award. Because now he's going to be competing with Horton for that number two option. And eventually I think he'll become that because he's younger, more dynamic, and it's just his time and opportunity to seize the moment. So I think he's going to be uh, most improved. Sixth man of the year, I have Bones Highland. Um, Hero and Poole are understandable, but I think Hero, he won it last year. They rarely give that back-to-back -back unless you're Jamal Crawford or Lou Williams and their legends at that role. Jordan Poole, like you guys said, he's going to get starter minutes as the season goes on because Clay's going to get rest. There's going to be certain lineups to where I wouldn't be shocked if they play three guards. Curry, Poole, and Clay are on the floor together starting. So Bones has got that backup point guard role on lock. He's taking Monte Morris' um, position. And unlike Monte, he's a dynamic scorer, and he has the green light. Mike Malone gets him back, and he's going to have games where he's going to light it up. And I have, I like him as a <clears throat> as a really a huge player for six men of the year. Defensive player of the year is Bam. He could have got it last year if he didn't get hurt for a month in December. Um, he's talked about that a lot. I think if he's healthy, he's one of the versatile bigs in our league that can defend one through five. Miami's probably going to be in the top three in defensive rating. He's going to be a huge part of that. It's his time to get that Defensive Player of the Year award. I think he's going to get it. Um, Coach of the Year I have is Ty Lue because all the Clippers have to do is get the number one seed in the West. And they've never been a number one seed in their franchise's history. They're deep as heck. There's going to be nights where Kawhi and PG interchange and who plays and who doesn't. But I still think they have the depth to win 55 to 60 games. Um, like Clem said, Coach of the Year is all about records. Obviously, what your record was this year in comparison to last year in storylines. And since the Clippers have never been the top overall seed ever in franchise history, if they're able to get that with Tyler Weed in the helm, he's going to get coach of the year. 
And MVP, I got John Morant. Um, I think this Memphis Grizzlies team can finish top three in the West. He's a he's a budding superstar. The lead loves marketing him. They're already marketing him right now. I think he's gonna have a substantial uptick in all the major categories. And I think all he has to do is play sixty to sixty five games. It's a lot to ask for because he hasn't played sixty games since maybe his rookie year. And I may be reaching on that. But I think if he reaches that threshold and he's a huge part of why Memphis is a top three seed, he's gonna get the most valuable player award for sure. And those are our awards. So we'll look to see how those turn out as the season ends. But before we close out the pod, one last topic. It's on the Wimbanyama sweepstakes. We all know coming into the year, there's about four or five teams that are taken for Vic. He's a phenomenal talent. He's a phenomenal player. He's got next. Um, we're going to start with Clem. Two questions I'm going to ask. Where would you like for him to go? And where do you think he'll go? When the lottery ball falls in March, uh, where would I like him to go? I would say to San Antonio. Um, I think that, um, for one, I want to see Pop stay in the game, and I think that <laughs> that's why he hasn't retired yet because <laughs> he's like, yo, fucking get Vic is ducking again. Um, so yeah, I would I would love to see how Pop could put him in position for success, and obviously with. A talent like that you want to see on the main stage winning, and I think Pop can set him up for that. Um, and where where would I – where do I think he's going to go? I think he'll end up in Utah. I think they're going to be so bad, which is weird because they, they actually have a pretty nice starting five. Um, not like one that's going to win a bunch of games, but like I like the talent and the, the guys on that team, uh, Lloyd Markinen. Uh, THT, um, uh, uh, Vandos on there, and Kessler Edwards. I really, um, not Kessler Edwards, uh, what's the big man name? Kessler. Ah, I'm drawing a blank. You close. close. Walker Kessler, Walker Kessler. Yeah, I wanted Minnesota to keep him before they traded for Gobert, but I understand that. But yeah, I think he'll end up there. I think that team's going to look totally different uh, next year. I think. Danny Andrews is a really smart guy, and he's going to figure it out. But, yeah, those are two. Ace, question on to you. Where would you like for him to go, but where do you think he'll potentially end up? Kind of muted. That mute button touch funny, my bad. But uh, I um personally, I think I would like to see him go to OKC. Um, that would be, I think, the greatest. If Chet was to return back healthy, that would be one of the greatest teams built through the draft, and that would be the real trust the process. Um, where do I think he's gonna end up? Um. San Antonio. I feel like San Antonio, to what Clem said about Utah, I feel like San Antonio would be so bad to where even if they're not taking the tanking approach at the beginning of the season, their minds will shift and sit like, okay, we can definitely get something great if we're not that good. So I think he'll end up in San Antonio. 
Yeah, for me, um, where would I like for him to go? Three teams. Um, Houston would be crazy. Um, Jabari Smith, Wambayama, and Jalen Green. Like, that's their core. Man, giving up Harden will be worth it <laughs> if, that's, if that's their core for the future. Um, San Antonio, because just intrigued to see that dynamic with him and Pop. Um, I Like Clem said, that's the only reason why Pop is hanging on. It's for Wimby. If he doesn't get him, he's out of there. Um, and then last but not least, Charlotte, because Melo needs a co-star. Um, and the Hornets need to get it in the mud through the draft because nobody's coming to Charlotte. They're able to get the top pick. Um, Jordan, finally, first time ever as owner, has top pick in a draft. He can get Wimbayamo with Melo Ball. He got the two core stars for the future at that set. Where I think he will go, he's going to be a spur. Um I think the NBA wants Pop to be in the league a little while longer. The only way that can happen is he's got to get the top pick. He'll be a spur, um, and they can kind of build with him. Kelvin Johnson, who I like, he's starting to come along every single year. And whichever one of the rookies that they took this year manifests, whether it's Shoheen or Brahman from um, Akron, um, went to Iowa State. So I think that's it. Um, look, a lot of teams are going to be taken for this guy. I mean, he's – it's the best prospect we've seen since Zion, and if you want to even go beyond that since Braun. It's really, I just hope for the guy. He's going to a situation where it's conducive to his basketball success. I don't think Utah is conducive to his basketball success. Um, Charlotte kind of probably isn't either, but Melo's there, so that's a guy that can make the game a little easier on you. I think Spurs is conducive because of their development and their track record, and Houston because they have a they already have a young core that's being established. So that's where I really see that kind of manifesting there. But with that, it's in episode 56. Before I go, I'm going to let Clem and Ace kind of talk about what they're looking forward to this season. Um, Clem taking the floor. Season starts tomorrow. Storylines you're intrigued by. Teams you can't wait to watch. What do you feel like will be the biggest storyline this year? The biggest storyline, man. Um... I'm going to separate it with two things. I'm going to go with my heart and my mind. Because y'all know we be having some uh, passionate discussions. And I, I I think I take pride in being objective, even though, you know, I, I, I love Book. You know what I'm saying? That's my favorite player in the league right now. But in a way I can see them getting ready to rebuild in two years and book wanting out. Um, just, I think it, it's going to be one of those things where if it doesn't work out with Aiton, they're going to start looking at who they could have got, which was Luca. And then with the whole Sarver thing and, um, with, um, what's his name? Chris Paul declining. I don't know. I just, I, I can see book, looking over at Minnesota and being like, dang, you know, D'Lo over there, Carl over there. You know, I could, unfortunately, I could see him being someone who wants out in a couple years if Aiton ends up leaving and then they end up plummeting. Um, So it's very interesting to see how that plays out. And then obviously the Pelicans, you know, like y'all, y'all, y'all just be playing Zion. Like he's some kind of like, Regular dude, like y'all act like this man's regular regular. The sophomore season, I know it was, it was sixty some games. 
27 points a game all right, in year two, led the league in field goal percentage and paint points. Like, it, that, that doesn't happen every day. And then now he has Brandon Ingram um, at his peak. You got C.J. McCollum, a, a, a proven veteran, and has the personality, as we continue to talk about on like third, the third star mentality where he will sacrifice for others. And then you have a guy like Herb Jones coming up you got Dyson Daniels, who will probably move into that starting point guard spot um, in the next two or three years. You know, so you have a team that's ready for ascension. All they're waiting for is that number one guy. Now, like I said all the time, I'm, I feel like I'm an objective person. As much as I love Zion, I don't know if he's a number one. There's only like five number ones every generation. And I don't know if he's going to be that guy. But... Looking forward to seeing um, how that works out because if he can be that number one, I think the Pelicans can be a conference finalist as early as next season. But those are the two I'm looking forward to seeing. Ace, the floor is yours. What are your thoughts? Ace, looking forward to the mute button working. <laughs> Slight technical difficulties, but he's <laughs> working on it. Uh, Boy, you struggling more than the Lakers right now. <laughs> well, as he figures it out, um, I'll say what I'm really interested in looking forward to. Uh, the young up-and-coming teams taking that next step. Oh, Ace left. Uh, young up-and-coming teams taking that next step, obviously. The Grizzlies, the Pelicans, um, Cleveland. They added the reinforcements that they needed to kind of be real legitimate contenders in the postseason. So I'm interested to see how they're able to take that next step. Even the rebuilding teams, what is Houston cooking? I like their young talent. Um, This is a great year for them to kind of learn trial by error on the fly with their young guys. Same thing in Orlando. I like Paolo Bancaro. I think he could potentially be what Jabari Parker was projected to be, but even better. Um, Franz Wagner is a very solid number two guy. Who is going to be the three? Cole Anthony, uh, Jalen Suggs, they got to figure that out as well. Uh, Ace has returned. Um, and then obviously the, the core guys, the, the champions, the contenders. Clippers, can they win one? Can they win their first title? If they're able to stay healthy, great chance. Golden State, is the back-to-back talks realistic or is this the farce? And Minnesota, you got Gobert to be a contender in the West. Can you put it all together? And then in the East with Boston, Udoka's not going to be there this year. Don't have Robert Williams for a minute. Gallinari's gone. Can you block all all? Can you block out all the noise and come out of the East? Can Milwaukee be healthy in the postseason once again to come out the East? And then with the Brooklyn Nets, this might be Durant's best chance to win. Not saying they're going to win, but this might be his best opportunity to win a third ring. Can they have a Golden State Warriors S run this year? and win the championship when no one really considered them a true contender. So those are all really questions I can't wait to see answered and can't wait for the season to start. Ace, floor is yours to wrap it all up. All right. Sorry about that. I'm back, though. But um, the storyline that I was looking forward to the most, I'm with Clint, man. The, the Pelicans, man, is – I'm, I'm, I'm ready to see if Zion is actually going to answer the call and um, see if he's going to be that of what everybody is expected. Um, 
in a small sub uh, topic, just because he's a personal favorite of mine based off the summer league and preseason. I'm ready to see how my boy Kenny Lofton Jr. emerges and emerges in this league because he's a problem. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm really all in on on the Pelicans, man. That's who I'll be watching under under my personal microscope to see what happens. Clem kind of took all my points that I kind of was blending with, but you know, I don't want to sound redundant. But yeah, I'm I'm all in to watch what happens in New Orleans. Pelicans for sure are the premier league pass team. But with that, it's episode 56, <clears throat> Independent Intel Podcast with my guys Ace and Clem. Done talking about the NBA for now. We'll be back as the season goes on, but the season starts tomorrow. Can't wait for it to get started. Everybody tune in and use this as your guide. Appreciate it.